Walker is an emotional and primitive man. Do you remember when we met? Suddenly, we were together. Lee Marlin is Walker, the hunter and the hunted. Alcatraz Island is not immune to Walker's vengeance. You're a very bad man, Walker, a very destructive man. Why do you run around doing things like this? Feel the blast of emotions and point-blank rage. Know the mental agony that overwhelms and consumes at point-blank range. Experience rapid-fire action at point-blank range. Things aren't done this way anymore, Walker. Let's be Highway to the end of the night. Do you remember that time we saw Tony Bennett doing Doors? It's <laughs> <laughs> a very odd, a very odd concert of Doors tribute by Tony Bennett. The entire set. Break yeah. on through. <laughs> you know the day destroys <laughs> the night. The night divides the day. Hey, hey! Try to run. <laughs> try to hide. <laughs> Break on through to the other side. He did a lot of B-sides, B-sides too, you know. <laughs> Wild child, full of grace, savior of the human race. Yeah. Your cool face. Do you remember when we were in Africa? <laughs> Thank you. We have this weird memory. Welcome to Saturday <laughs> Night Movie Sleepovers. I'm Dion Baya. And I'm Jay Blake. And uh, one Sunday uh, afternoon, Blake and I... Uh, we got tickets to go see Tony Bennett up at the casinos in uh, New Haven, uh, in, in Connecticut, and we went to see Mohegan, and he was doing a, a, a matinee concert, Tony Bennett. And we're like, hey, we want to go see Tony Bennett. Sure. And it was like 2002 or three, right? Yeah. So you slept over, and we drove up there, and we got there, and it was a great concert, and we were the, probably the youngest people at the venue <laughs> at the time. <laughs> that would be not the first time. And we'll, pretty soon it's going to be the last yeah, time, because yeah. pretty soon we're going to be those old people. And, and it's funny, because it was before like he had his resurgence with all the, uh, you know, doing the stuff now recently with, what's her name? Lady uh, Gaga. Lady Gaga. And I was going to say Amy Winehouse, but Lady Gaga and all that kind of stuff. So uh, he, did a, he did a whole set, and I don't know how long. We were like, wow, you know, he's, he's only got, it was only one concert, it was the middle of the day and we're like well that's you know he's bill cosby used to do that you know you do a matinee show yeah, or whatever. And they put it in the arena 
Yeah. But then they closed off like half of it, like two thirds of it. So he <laughs> the was. Arena. So the stage was against the curtain, and then we were like kind of in stadium seating, looking down at him, like his profile. But we had good seats. Yeah. And I, I saw Bob Dylan there a couple of years before that, and uh, so on our way home. I don't know what we were doing. We were, we were, we were singing Tony Bennett songs. And well, then we were probably had the doors on in the car. Yeah, and then we were singing Tony Bennett. So then we started having Tony Bennett sing Doors songs. <laughs> you know? And so now there's a now that joint memory, memory is, of... Is that the, the time we saw Tony Bennett singing like, When the music's <laughs> over, turn out the light. It was real jazzed up versions. <laughs> it was quite exciting. I mean, his rendition of the end? <laughs> man. Gets not to be missed. Hey, Mr. Lightman, you gotta turn those lights way down. But anyway, um, that has nothing to do with tonight. No. No. We're, we're, not we're, even a little bit. Not even a l- little <laughs> bit. Uh, we're out of 1996. We've left there. But burst out in 1996. We got into our, um, into our tri- time-traveling sleeping bags in our, in, our, uh, in our bed tents, and we propelled it, and we, went, we got back, and now we're, we've, we've, we just randomly put something on the, on the doohickey. <laughs> and the flux capacitor yeah. thing. And we didn't land back in 2019, we the sh- year of this ju- podcast. It's just shy. Yeah, we, we just shy, <laughs> and we didn't realize we didn't calibrate it right. We only had enough gas to get us to 2000. We should have done Skyscraper with the rock so that we could have done another Nev Campbell movie. That would have been awesome. <laughs> and we could have tied <laughs> we, it into. We somehow just turned this podcast into a Nev Campbell a tribute. Sad, suddenly you're doing it's a It's a Nev Campbell tribute podcast. I mean, like. Um, <laughs> we started doing every episode. <laughs> a party of five. Yeah, wow, this is, they're really getting into the deep layers. <laughs> it's like it's for members only. This is what you guys get. Uh, but no, we landed in 2014, and we're now um, we're, we're we're in 2014, and this is probably the we're transmitting to you right now from <laughs> 2014. <laughs> It's like analog. It's like the Prince of Darkness. Yeah, <laughs> transmission. But, um, and I think this is going to probably tie the record as our, our newest movie to date that we're doing tonight. Not just tie the record. It, it breaks is. the record. <laughs> yeah, right, because we were- Shatters the record. <laughs> Shatter the floor. <laughs> it's, it's done. Uh, yeah, because now we're, um, we're into, uh, we, were, we were, what, 19, 2008 was what we had last, last time. With um, Taken. With Taken. And then uh, now we're doing uh, John Wick from 2014. John Wick from 2014. <laughs> Coming back all the way back. <laughs> 2014. Clocking it at number 10. Yeah, this is a good one of 2014. <laughs> and what was going on in 2014? I don't even remember what was going I on in know. 2014. I, I was sitting in the movie theater watching John Wick. Yeah, you saw John Wick in the theater, right? Blew yeah. your mind? I loved it. Yeah. Easily my favorite movie of, the, of that year. Yeah. I don't remember what other, any other movies that came out that year. but <laughs> I, I just know <laughs> that I was impressed with it. And uh, much like Taken was when you saw Taken, yeah, it, it Taken takened you, yeah, took it, took for, you. All, for all the labeling of being a horror guy. All my favorite movies of like the last twenty years or action are movies. action movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you like the you like the modern. Um, <laughs> I'm a big fan of modern action. <laughs> yeah, modern action movies, and uh, this is a hard movie to come to grips with for me because. For the longest time, I didn't like Keanu Reeves, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, especially like culminating with The Matrix, and I was like, oh my gosh, this guy! And then I remember when we were in high school, uh, MTV used to do weird specials, and they did a special when they had like there was a uh, university in California that was doing um, giving a, a class on the acting of, of 
Keanu Reeves. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ. It's like, what the hell is this? You know, I used to think he was terrible. But then when I saw this movie, it's like, I, and, and I, you know, you learn a lot about him and stuff like that. Like, I've really come around. And, and I'm not saying he's a, he's a, a fabulous actor, but I mean, I, I really have a newfound love and appreciation for him. And I'm like looking to go back now and watch. I mean, I've watched the Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula recently and that. But I, now I got to go back through his catalog and see if, you know, what I was missing. And like, I mean, I loved him in Point Break. I loved him in like my pro- my own private Idaho and his early movies and uh, what's the the River's Edge, yeah. you know, and Bill and Ted. But it's like, you know, the in the 90s there with like Devil's Advocate and Speed, you know. He had, well, look, he's... But he's like a guy. It looks like a guy I want to go hang out with now. Like yeah. I want to go pal around with him and just like talk well, about I've never motorcycles heard and anything bad about him. Exactly. That's the first thing. I mean, you can find videos of you know people him on a, on a subway in New York City and somebody you know with their phone they tape him. and he's just sitting there like reading the paper. Yeah, and then he gets up to give some like old woman to see. <laughs> yeah. Or there's this great video of maybe he's promoting one of the John Wick movies on a press junket in Japan. Or China. I can't remember which because it's been a long time since I watched the video. But they just bring in Sonny Chiba. And he just loses it like a little... I mean, he doesn't start screaming, but he's so starstruck. Because it's Sonny Chiba. That it's Sonny Chiba and that it's adorable. (laughs) (laughs) You you don't think of someone as famous as Keanu Reeves being so... He's like giddy, like a little girl. Yeah. (laughs) Over meeting Sonny Chiba. You're like, oh, Keanu. And he seems like a person, you know, from all accounts, is very nice to everybody on the level from like the, you know, the, the... the deep, the lowest rung on the ladder to the highest on the set. You know, yeah. I don't know if this is true or not, but I, I heard, I've heard that with the success of the Matrix movies, that he took money out of his, you know, his fee for it yeah. and gave bonuses to like all the crew and especially like the special effects guys. Yeah, I heard that. I heard something like he, that he he. Uh, he lowered his fees so that they can put more. There's, a, there's like if you go to Snopes, whatever that is, Snoops or whatever that site is. I've heard that 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 he lowered his fee as well. He's done a lot of things like that, where to, to so more money can go towards, say, the department to get achieve the effects, or to have Gene Hackman in that other movie, uh, maybe the replacements. Yeah, that that he took like a ninety percent cut in his fee to guarantee Gene Hackman would be there. You know, I mean, and he has a, a an interesting life. Keanu Reeves, where he was like born in Beirut, uh, in Lebanon, and his mother was British. His dad was like Chinese and Hawaiian, and his dad left at a very early age. And he, his mom, moved around to like Sydney, Australia, New York City, and then they settled up in Toronto. And he had like an upbringing as a Canadian, and then he was almost gonna, uh, you know, play hockey professionally, but he got an injury, and then you know he instead started acting, and then then he, you know, his his acting career took off. But then as of late, there's the story where like his. Uh, his best friend, first of all, you know, R- River Phoenix that he he had become close with. He ODs and dies when they're like in their early 20s. And then his girlfriend in 1999, they had a child together and the child was born eight months stillborn. And then their relationship dissolved. They couldn't handle the stress of that. So they went their separate ways, but they became very close. And then within a year or two, she died in a car accident. She was like uh, ejected from a car in a car crash. Uh and then his sister had leukemia, you know, and he was in helping her with. So it's like he had these 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 real monumental, you know. And I guess it's, 
you know, I think a lot of this could be blown out of proportion. There's a video of like, oh, the tragedy of Keanu Reeves where they have all these yeah, facts lumped yeah. together and it really pulls on your heartstrings. But he just seems like he's been a, he's a really cool guy. He did that documentary a couple of years ago where it was, he produced it. I think he, he hosts it where it's, he's comparing film to digital. Yeah. And he interviews a whole bunch of like Scorsese and a lot of people about that topic, which I found like, oh, this is, that's very informative. Yeah. You know, and I just garnered a lot of, I loved him in John Constantine. So I think around like the early 2000s, after the Matrix, because I was kind of, I didn't like the Matrixes as much as everybody else. I mean, I know, I know they were huge, heavy movies, but like for me, it's weird because the glorification of violence, I don't usually like, which I sometimes feel like the Matrix falls into that well. But at the same time, I like very violent movies, you know, <laughs> yeah, so it's, you know, so, <laughs> but, you know, I like violence, not, I guess, as, a, you know, as I've gotten older, it's like this kind of here to me, this is not a glorification of violence. Like, it's not like. Uh, pornography of, of, of weaponry and stuff where I kind of feel like because of the story of the Matrix where you're in there with the guns and you can you can have it be a little more of like yeah. well, you it's know not real yeah exactly so it lends itself to be a little more that video gamey kind of a thing and so in the early 2000s when I like I liked John uh, I liked Constantine he did a lot of other indie projects that I dug and then you know seeing when this movie came out I was like you know he's a, he's a real badass you know it's it, it's you know, you think a guy like him would be, ha- be bringing a lot of baggage to the table. And you're like, I don't know. if It's like Liam Neeson being cast and taken. Oh, you know, sure, he could do it, but it, how is it going to go? And, you know, he had done a movie, Keanu Reeves, a year before this, that, uh, what is it, that 47 Ronin? Yeah. That didn't really, came and went and people didn't like it, which I thought it was a fun movie. You yeah, know? I liked But it. he was doing a lot of, like, action. You know, he was trying to find, he did another cop movie. Like, well, I, I think The Matrix kind of changed. I mean, he had done... You know, Point Break. He had done actiony movies and Speed and stuff. Well, Speed really solidified him, yeah, as the action star. But I think The Matrix like really pushed him over the top of like bona fide action box office yeah. star. Yeah, where he can command a, a good paycheck. And I always liked him. I mean, I, look, I'll, I'll admit that you know, especially early on or into the middle of his career, there were performances that. You know, one could argue are not great. Yeah, um, I think he's the kind of guy that, at least back then, I mean, he seems like he's kind of found himself or yeah. his his type of role. Is like I feel maybe he chooses his roles more wisely now than he did then, or because I always felt like if he was cast in the right part, he was yeah, really I, good. that's how I always thought. Like I thought he was great, but as he would the... sometimes be cast in things that were a l- little more of a stretch, and he was I don't know, just didn't pull them off like I personally love The Replacements yeah uh, it's one of those movies that I'll just watch anytime when it's, if it's on TV and I find it I'll, I'll sit there and I'll watch it yeah and he was perfectly fine in that part yeah yeah uh, he was really good it was a small part but he was great in The Gift the yeah. Sam Raimi movie yeah and I don't know if it's just was the casting or him and Raimi connected or what it was but I thought he was really great in that movie um you know, he's got a Keanu-esque-ness about him. <laughs> but, you know, he's kind of like, he's kind of moved on to, because I always had in my head that, you know, that skater, airhead, surfer. Yeah. Well, like, he was you know, so good at that. Good at Ted. So that when I would see him in, the, he, it works in Point Break. But then when you get to, like, the first Matrix where he was like, this is insane. It's like, and I was like, oh, my God. It's like he's still kind of bringing, and it, it's more of my own learning curve. I have to get over. I have very few qualms in this world about, I mean, I can like terrible movies and stuff, but for some reason, Keanu was a sticking point with me. Yeah. And uh, it, I think it started in the early 
um, uh, teens now, like especially with this John Wick movie, where I was like, yeah, he is really a badass. He's a, you know, he goes in and does the 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 homework on a on a you know, with the, I mean, the physicality. I mean, you know, and, and doing all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of gravitas there that he's going to go in and do that stuff. Where you see him just being as as rich as he probably is, he still kind of seems like a a normal guy that'll give his seat to a woman or even a pregnant or an elderly woman or whatever. Yeah. You know, or he is riding the subway. I'm sure he's, you know, th- there's just as many pictures you'll see him riding a classic bike around or, you know, in his Porsche or something, but he does ride the subway at times, you know. Yeah. So it just, you know, I, you have this kind of, uh, well, me, I have this kind of newfound respect for him. Like he's, he's, he's come a long way and you're right. He's kind of found himself or maybe I've, it's like the Zen of Keanu. I found myself around him, you know, and I'm able to, you know, easily more digest, you know, as I've gotten older, you know, his, his technique and stuff, you know. So it's fun. Like I said, it'll be fun going to back and revisiting his early catalog with that mindset. Yeah. I mean, I think you'll, I think you'll find that he's, I don't know. Like I said, he's kind of, Maybe it's just his the you know the parts he's been offered or the parts he's uh, decided to take or maybe just the, like a cur like a learning curve for himself. He's just gotten better. Some other there was a there's a couple of those indie movies. I can't think of all of them at, right now where he's played either smaller parts. Yeah, and stuff. he's where produced he, it himself or it's been, him. He's been really good. There was yeah. one maybe Thumbsucker was was one where he just played a doctor in it. Yeah. And it was it was a small part, but he was he was good in it. Um, well, you know what happened was he he said no. He did Speed, and Speed was like you know he did he had done Point Break, but he was still kind of on the indies. He was doing comedies and stuff. And then when he did Speed, that kind of solidified him as the action star. And I love Speed just as much as the next guy. I love Dennis Hopper in it. A lot of people have problems with him over the top Dennis Hopper in it. But I, I love the whole thing. I was on board for the bus going 55 miles mm-hmm. an hour. Die this, hard on a bus? Yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> I wasn't so much when Speed 2. I was like, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of over it by that point. But he, <laughs> so was Keanu. Yeah, yeah well, that's what I'm saying. So he said no to, to – to, 20th Century Fox, and I heard you know he was blacklisted because of that. But then he he did the Matrix movies, and then I guess after the Matrix movies, uh, I don't know what he did. A couple movies that just came and went. Uh, I mean, The Gift was around that time, but post Matrix, he was trying to find his footing, and he did a couple B pictures too. He did it like your or, or stuff that was uh, straight to video or DVD or stuff like you're saying where he doesn't. He's just a minor role. He's filling, you know, and he was kind of. I mean, at that point, you know, he's able to pick and choose because it's one of those things when he gets mega status. I mean, you, who knows what the took what the, time off? Then he take time off to play bass in a band. Yeah, and Dog that was star or something I think like that. The reason he said no to the Speed 2 was because he wanted to to tour with his band, his rock band and he toured around and then I think when he when he was done with the Matrix movies he wanted he he then tooled around another, with another band. Then he realized, you know, maybe not becoming a a, a mainstream performing rock artist is what I want to do. And that's when he kind of got back in. And he was trying to kind of, and then he did a couple duds, like we said, you know, that were, they still may be good movies, but just they weren't commercially successful. Yeah. And then John Wick came along. And John Wick's a weird movie too, because it's just a, it's like, it's like a genre. It's just an homage almost to like those, like just the typical action movie. It's like out of the Taken bag. We did t- Taken, what, last year? Last summer, I think. Yeah, around August or September, maybe we did Taken uh, of 2008, Liam Neeson's Taken. And Taken seemed like one of those movies that kind of, it's like a genre that was always there, but it just put a new spin on, you know, there's a timetable, there's a guy who ha- is determined to do anything at all costs. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be some gr- real brutality in it, and and sometimes these movies, like I said, they don't, they're not, it's not glorifying the violence. It's there to to put in a point, 
and you had a whole uh, subgenre spit out of these movies that, like, Je- um, you know, Sean Penn did one of those movies. Uh, Keanu Reeves did one of the, You have a whole slew of these movies that just come out that are um, not takeoffs, but have just the door has been open because of the success of Taken yeah. and them doing all these kind of uh, little movies. And John Wick was one of them. And, uh, you know, it, it certainly is a story that just once it starts going, it goes. And uh, it surprises me that it's almost two hours. I think it's like an hour and 40 or an hour and 45 minutes. But it's a pretty kind of quick story that just once it gets running, uh, it's running. Yeah, you know, I'm curious because, you know, I, I know I've talked about it uh, before off mic, you know, privately. But you, you've never said anything about it. So I don't know, like, when you've seen it, when you saw it first, if you, this was your first viewing, if you like it or not. John Wick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, we've never, ever talked about it. It was one of those movies where when it came out, everyone was like, you have to see John Wick. You know, I'm a big fan of, like, Michael Mann, uh, his the the realism in his kind of movies for, for this kind of, like, crime and theft and in the mechanics of th- those worlds, like cops and robbers. I'm a big fan of Heat, big fan of Collateral. Uh, I even liked uh, that other movie, the, the Johnny Depp movie, Public Enemies. Um, so when this movie came out, everyone was like, you know, you got to see John Wick. You're going to love it. And uh, I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it when it came out on DVD or whatever you call it now. When it, when it was available on television, I saw it. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I didn't flip over it. To me, it just seemed like another one of those genre movies that were coming out in in place of the you know of like the Liam Neeson kind of canon what was going on at the time because there was a lot of those ones coming out um but what I did like about it is is the technical prowess all the stuff in it that it's just you know a lot of the realism in the fights because that was another thing with me was with the Matrix movies that they're so over the top you know the realism goes when someone's running up the wall and flipping around that kind of thing the wire foo that kind of hit its clips with the you know, in the states here, you, uh, you know, with the, when John Woo was very popular, and you were having these like face-offs where guys are jumping out of planes, shooting guns, and landing, and they're fine. You know, like a lot of the comic booky stuff. Yeah. So it's so refreshing. Then when I saw this movie, John Wick, to see like the really going for the sake of realism with situations, stuff. So I really enjoyed it. This was only my second viewing of it because I saw it when it came out. Uh, I, I really dug it. I mean. Uh, Seeing at the near the beginning of it, David Patrick Kelly make a cameo. I was like, "This movie's great!" I'm like, it's "David Patrick <laughs> it's got Kelly, a hell of a, like a cast uh, yeah. of, of like everybody's supporting." Yeah, you know, Ian McShane and Willem Dafoe. Yeah, there's David so many Patrick Kelly. There's so many little people that are you know, or people you just realize. Like I just started watching um, Blue Bloods recently, and and the girl Bridget Moynihan's and who plays his wife in this movie, she's in yeah. Blue Bloods, and I I'm only episode two or three in the blue blood. I was like, Oh, look who that is. You know, and there's so many people. John Leguizamo shows up, you know, uh, you know, I love John Leguizamo from Carlito's way. <laughs> Back Carlito, you know, the, the Carlito, Carlito days. Uh, Carlito Bragante, <laughs> you know, as uh, Benny Branco from the Bronx, uh, Dean Winters, the mayhem, right? You know, yeah. now, it's funny because I can't look at him now without, I'm, I'm thinking he's punking them like, I'm mayhem. And John, you just fucked John Wick <laughs> up and now you don't have insurance, you know, like, yeah. so, you know, but he's, yeah, I like that guy. I mean, he was in, he was, was that Rescue was, Me? Yeah, he was on Rescue Me with yeah. the Dennis Leary show. And then he was, uh, 
was on 30 Rock. He was on SVU for like a year or two yeah. when he first started. Uh, Law I Order. like that guy. Yeah, oh, he's great. I love him. And I love those commercials. I, I was, they were annoying me at one point, and then I saw one of them with the, him driving the pink car and the girl, like, I'm I'm a 12-year-old girl. I just got my license. And now, <laughs> oh, and, you know, Jimmy just made out, oh, my God, I'm emotional. I was, oh, it's great. So I love And then they were gone for a little while, and like a year or two ago, they started again. I was like, yeah, my favorite commercials. So there's everybody in this movie. It's just like there's so many. And then it, the funny thing, too, is it's kind of shot around here. Yeah. We are in New York City, even to the point where at the beginning, I remember when I first saw it, it looked familiar, is when you and I used to go to Pyramont Video across the Tappan Zee Bridge, now called the Mario Cuomo Bridge, um, into the other side of the Jersey side of um, the city there, uh, th- there's Route 9 by Nyack there, and that's where they shoot the gas station scene. You know, when they, okay, they spot yeah. the car? That's on Route 9 there when we used to go to Piermont, which, you know, only p- people around here would know, but it's like, <laughs> those are the days when Piermont, yeah, I mean, video. I'm sure it's come up before, because Piermont had one of the greatest video stores of all time. Ever. And a whole bunch of, like, Bill Murray used to go there, uh, the girl from Goodfellas and uh, Lorena Bronco used to, so you have all these weird autographs on this poster. Remember, it was like yeah. a, it's one of those shitty, like, um, f- uh, like, uh, whatchamacallit, Hopper uh, of like the, the the diner, but it was yeah. like I think it was like James Dean and Mar- you know, <laughs> it was one of those. Yeah, take yeah it was, you know, it was one of those kind of. Uh, and then it was like all the celebrities signed that, so you had all these. I'm like you're looking at like, and then there was lights on it, you know, so it's like little Christmas tree lights. <laughs> like, I guess you plug the painting in, so we we don't. And then there was a guy that was there who who always had a bandage on. Yeah, on Remember? his hand. Yeah, but it was like a bandage as in like an, like a mummy kind of bandage, white. And yeah. then it would sometimes be like brown, like you don't know how long he had it on, <laughs> but he never got better. But it, so he didn't know if he was hiding a deformity or if it was something that was yeah. So, but anyway, but the, so they shot this all around this area, and then when you're reading more about it, is you know they shot it with only one camera, which I kind of find hard to believe in the action car sequences. You would have like are they're going to do that many setups with a single camera, but they say you know they only could afford one camera, so that's why a lot of the takes are long. So you yeah. have a lot of these action sequences where it's, you know, Keanu Reeves doing like 90% of his own physical, And that's insane because he's, he's 50 years old when this movie comes out. Yeah. So he's, he's jumping around, you know, uh, it, it, you know it's, we're in that world again where we were talking about like Eastwood climbing a mountain uh, yeah. in the Iker Sanction in 45. I mean, it's a very similar movie. To Stallone. The Iker Sanction well, in it, some ways. It's funny because this could have been like, you know, John Hemlock. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, you know, it's, you know, it's funny to think about other people playing the role because... There's they even s- a little nod to to Traver- Traverian in Traverian, yeah, and Tra- I was Travanon or whatever. <laughs> I, Tra- Traverian, the guy, the pen name of the, the the gentleman who wrote the Iger sanction, and then I brought up the Loose sanction, the sequel to that. He wrote a couple other espionage, and he wrote Shim Shim uh, Shimbunu Shimbuni, I think it's the Japanese. Um, and at the beginning of the movie, when Keanu Reeves is taking his car, his Mustang, to go ride around in the uh, the airport. He says hello to the, the the watchman of the guard that opens the fence, and the guard is reading a, a Sh- book. Shabumi. Shabumi. And it, that's a very or popular- Shibumi? Shabumi. S-H-I-B-U-M-I. That's from like 1979, I think, is that, that Apparently, it involves a retired assassin. Yeah. Who, who actually takes a pencil and kills people. And so that line is- Is, is a reference- he, So that they saw him kill three guys with a- with a pencil. No, it was the Russian guy. So oh, was it? Tells oh, the yeah, son yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I saw Apparently, that's a scene in the book. Yeah. So, uh, seeing that the second time before I read up on it with you, uh, I was like, oh, look at that. It's Javari. <laughs> we just talked about him from the Iger Sanction. Because uh, he did a lot of espionage movies. So, how weird is that? And then we just did Cliffhanger. And Cliff Stallone was 
46. He was older than Eastwood. I think he was like 46 or 47 when he was doing Cliffhanger. Yeah. So you see these amazing, I mean, to me, Keanu Reeves does not look 50 here. You know, I mean, he looks older from his, you know, he's, I think he's got a baby face where like he, yeah. he certainly looks older from like Bill and Ted. He certainly looks older from John Wick or, I'm not John Wick or uh, Matrix or yeah. Speed, but he don't look 50 in this movie. No. You know what I mean? So, uh, let's hear your story. <laughs> Uh, lot, there's a lot to lot we, we touched on. We're jumping right in here. We're going the that, whole uh, I out. saw it at the movies. I mean, I go see every Keanu Reeves movie that I can in the movies. Just out of even the romantic, like a walk <laughs> in the clouds and all? <laughs> Do what I can, especially if it's action-oriented. Uh, like, I saw 47 Ronin in the movie theater. I like that movie. Yeah, I mean, it was fun. You know, that's the same thing, too. It's like, I love the... Wasn't there comic book aspects where he... Wasn't he fighting like a robot? Yeah, there was like monsters. I loved all that. Like, I see, let's see how much of a messy page I am here. <laughs> you know? I saw Constantine at the movies. I loved Constantine, but I had read the... the what is that? Star Blazer or, or something Blazer. The uh, John Constantine, whatever the book was originally called. I loved that. And they changed it substantially. So a lot of diehard fans, I know, weren't as happy with the ad- adaptations, but... They were going to make a series out of it or whatever. Well, they did make a television series, and then that got canceled. And now the guy that played Constantine in that television series is on uh, Legends of Tomorrow playing, oh, okay. con- playing Constantine. The the character Constantine. Yeah, but it's the guy who played him in the television show. Not Keanu Reeves. Not Keanu. Not, not Keanu. So you saw that in the in the darn movie theater. Yeah, I saw. You know, I think the only one I didn't probably didn't see at the movie theater was that one that maybe he directed it. It's like called like. Tai Chi or yeah. Masters. <laughs> I forget the and name. It's off of his, it. it's off a of stuntman, right? That he that he was he befriended. Yeah. Hellblazer was the name of the um the comic book. Yeah. Star Blazer is the Star Wars reference, right? <laughs> the guy's name Star Blazer or whatever. But I don't I didn't see that because I don't even know if it played in theaters here. But yeah. I did see, I saw the movie, I didn't see it in the theaters. I saw you know, there's there's always been this you were talking you you were talking about how there's there's always been these kinds of movies. You know, yeah. we can you know the easiest, the easiest ones, the easiest movies to look back to are things like Death Wish, and which is stuff that we talked about in the Taken podcast, like yeah. this anti-hero, you know, mess with family or whatever, semi-revenge movie or vigilante type movie, and uh, Taken definitely plays with that a little bit. And then you have you know the uh, early two thousands, we saw one with Ke- Ke- uh, Kevin Bacon, yeah, called Death Sentence, I yeah, think, yeah, okay. Which was uh, directed by James Wan. Uh, right around that time, there was one with Jodie Foster yeah. that I can't remember the name of. Um, and so, like those movies did kind of always exist. And we did the remake of Death Wish recently, but it's it, with also with political climate. Some of these movies don't play well, depending on how how the movies projected yeah. or how the themes are. Yeah, the Bruce Willis yeah. uh, remake by uh, Eli Roth. Yeah, and. Uh, so they've so, always kind of been with us. So yeah, I mean yeah. they've they've kind of they've evolved yeah. in term in terms of you know to try to appeal to the day yeah. or or, uh, or to uh, incorporate you know contemporary film styles or, or, and obviously equipment and stuff. But when I saw John Wick, it does this beautiful blend of realism that you yeah. were talking about, but like comic book fantasy at the same time. Yeah. You know, it has this very uh, distinct tone to it, and it doesn't bullshit around. Yeah. 
and it is just like it doesn't take long to get going and then it's just this wild roller coaster ride yeah of insanity <laughs> to the end of the movie and there was just something when i saw the theaters there was just something so refreshing about that yeah um that uh it, it just like really made a big impact on me and uh you know ever since it seems like ever since the matrix keanu's had a little bit of an obsession with things like martial arts and and like really getting into the intricacies of action and gunplay and martial arts and stuff and so it was it's a lot of fun to see you know that kind of evolve into what becomes John the you know the John Wick films the third one about to come out yeah. soon as to you know when we're recording this uh, didn't like the second one nearly as much as I liked the first one, but that's also probably due to like expectation and seeing the first one and not expecting anything. Well, see, the, and being blown away by it. The the, the I had similar <clears throat> uh, issues with the second one only because when watching that movie, I was I was loving the the realism so much in it that like to me I felt like there was a certain point in that movie that like. And it's stupid because it is essentially a comic book movie that his body was just going to fail him. I mean, he's doing like break falls on concrete. He's yeah, falling yeah. two stories. And it's like at some point, I know there's a there's a style of thinking with a lot of like warriors or people who are able to do where you're able to minimize the pain and take the pain and just compartmentalize it and put it away and then you won't deal with it for whatever way, you know. And I understand to, a, to I'm sure... You know, uh, people can do that. And then, like, a study on that is maybe, like, a Frank Castle Punisher who's able to take yeah. the brutality. But in the real world, I would think that at some point your body is going to fail. Even if you're denying yourself the pain, if you're, you know, having that, you're doing that much damage to your body and, you know, getting shot, you're bleeding out or you're taking knife holes and all that, that your body will, you know, you'll pass out unless you're yeah. on drugs or on some sort of stimulant. So that was my only downside. But the action in the second yeah, one, again, yeah. was just like, it was just like a, a you know, porno. It's like, you're like, oh my God, there's so much <laughs> going on here. It's, it's startling. One of the things I do like a lot about the first one, um, which you, you know, you brought up to a certain extent, which is that I love that it's shot in New York, yeah. but I also love that it's shot in a way in New York that it's not so in your face New York. Yeah. Like other than, a handful of like iconic uh, landmarks, like the like the like a bridge or something. It's really like a New York that could be. It really does kind of set up a beautiful world of its own. Yeah, it's like almost back like on Gotham or something. Yeah, on the TV show where or like they shoot the crow, in New York, you know, but, but you it, can't tell. But it's not really, you know, they shoot it in New York, but it's they've changed enough and digitally in the in the show Gotham that it's not New York, it's Gotham. Here, I don't think they changed anything digitally, but they pick the locations and angles that they get like the beauty that New York has to offer with architecture and stuff without having it in your face be like, this is New York City. It's like fresh. You know, and that was my problem with all the the Nolan movies for the Batman is it's like I didn't like how blatantly, like the first movie's clearly, I forget what it was. Maybe it's 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 Pittsburgh. And the second movie's clearly Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. The third movie's clearly New York City. And he never made any kind of distinction to try to, you know, make him an amalgam of Gotham. You know, there was always so distinctly three different cities that he'd shot each movie. Where then you'd take Gotham, the show, which was probably 
a lot less of a budget than those movies had, and they're able to just CGI a couple things here and there, and then New York City suddenly becomes the Gotham that, of course, that looks like <laughs> Anton first. So, like, you know, it's it sold it so much better to me than, you know, yeah. and I have a lot of problems with the Nolan movies, but that's for a different day. Uh, but that, so it's like just even doing stuff like that, you're shooting, if you shoot something from that point of view, making New York look a little different, you know, like I find that just, it's almost like refreshing and it's almost like it's, uh, it's like the, like not the seedy side, but it's like the dark side. Like, you know, the, yeah. it's the side that you don't get to see all the time. And, well, even and just like the hotel. Yeah. The, this, the sure, continental. The, the continental. Like it's a very, you know, uh, unique visual. Yeah. You know, that corner building the one the one to like resemble the flat iron iron building but it's not the flat iron iron building but it's a building downtown somewhere or wherever in new york and it does exist yeah but yet it hasn't been photographed to death yeah so it seems unique in in the context of this now one of the interesting aspects of you know watching movies is your frame of reference for things. So when I saw this in 2014, you know, I I was bringing to it 2014 Blake and what I had seen up to that point. I had just I just but We're in 2014 <laughs> right now. <laughs> <coughs> but watching it in 2014 this time. Yeah. I just watched uh, a Netflix series with Ricky Gervais called Afterlife, which is a bit depressing. Uh, I mean, he's funny in it, but the show is not really a comedy. And the concept of the show is that his wife dies of cancer and he is going to kill himself because he's so distraught over it. But they has a, he has a dog and he can't kill himself because he can't. He has to take the dog out. He has to feed the dog. And watching this movie now, watching John Wick now after watching that, it's like, especially the beginning of it, you do, you're all like... Uh, like, did Ricky Gervais just decide he's going to make, like, the fat guy comedy version <laughs> of, of, of John Wick? Because the idea is, like, it, it, the idea of that show, to a certain extent, Afterlife, is that when you don't care anymore, when you don't care whether you live or die, it's almost like a superpower because you can do anything. Yeah. Like, you can stop a mugging or yeah. you can do whatever because you don't care about your own well-being anymore. And it's this weird show about about grief really and you know dealing with the effects of grief and that's in a sense what like John Wick is I mean it opens very similarly he's watching videos of him and his wife just like (laughs) on the Ricky Gervais show and even though he gets the dog at the beginning of John Wick and Ricky Gervais already has the dog like the dog does kind of symbolize this thing of like what's gonna the reason to keep on going yeah in some sense so when you watch john when i watch john wick now it does become obviously a very far out comic booky uh action movie but it's also a movie about grief yeah and how you he's know? taking out or how he's dealing with it yeah and how like his version of dealing with it is going to ki- is going and killing everybody <laughs> that had anything to do with killing this dog that was like the si- the, the last thing his wife gave him. Yeah, his like the symbol, you know, like uh, you know, uh, when I remember when I first saw John Wick, the I was like, well, he only had the dog for a day, but it's not about 
his relationship with the dog. It's like what that dog symbolizes. See, that was the thing with me was why my hang up on the movie when I saw it because it going into it, did you know about the the dog scene? I I I don't remember. Okay, because I, people warned me when they were like, you know, watch out, you're not gonna like this, you know, that kind of thing. And I was like, okay, so like I kind of went in like knowing something bad was gonna happen, but so then coming through the movie when it's made clear that it's not, he doesn't, it's. In my viewing of the f- the first time I saw it, it wasn't so much that it was a dog that was killed. It was because it was the thing that his wife gave yeah. him, and it was and it was the. And it's, I, I mean, in the notes, touching. It's like you need something to love. Yeah, you know. And so here's something to start. And I'm such a uh, I don't know what you call it now. I'm such just an imbecile with this kind of thing, where it's just like it's, it's, even for me, it's like them. T- you know, the innocence of this dog being killed. I'm one of these people where it's like I can't. I can't watch. Anything animal cruelty related, so the uh, even the inflection or the implication that something's going to happen drives me crazy. So, like to see that happening, and then on this viewing, I since I've said I've only seen it once, it's the second time watching it. To me, it seemed like when he woke up, I noticed I noticed the first time blood on the ground, and I thought he was crying the first viewing. But when I noticed when he woke up, I think what happened was the dog was still alive and crawled to him, and then cuddled next to him and died, and that's what the blood is from. So when mm-hmm. he wakes up. He sees the dog's dead. No, I'm going to get all teary-eyed now. And then, you know, so for me, it was like, you know, um, it wasn't, it it was more like, oh, he doesn't care so much that they killed the dog. He cares more that they they killed the gift, you know, everything the dog represented. Yeah. You know, and then when he makes that, I was like, oh, come on. I was like, it's it's a life to it. I get all, I get all, you know, uh, but but they certainly put something in. It's, It's like a cardinal rule. You know, it's it's a good trick by the filmmaker, but it's certainly a device that's going to get everybody. You want you want to hate these people so much. Yeah. It's to save the cat so that they do something so despicable that very the easily. The opposite of save the cat. Yeah, they're, they're killing the cat. <laughs> and that's so much so that at this point you don't care and you want to be cheering him up no matter what your your belief on the subject is uh, for violence or whatever. You're, you're going to cheer him on. At this point, you're like, who cares? You know, you're, you're, you're going to embrace whatever he does. There's a movie that for years I've loved called um, Point Blank. With Lee Marvin, John yeah. Borsman film, mm-hmm. and that was a movie that I that I discovered probably either when we were in high school and college because it came on Turner Classic Movies, yeah. and it was presented widescreen in all its glory. And then for years it wasn't available. And I remember in the early two thousands, you know, trying to find it. It wasn't available on DVD. I uh, joined the Turner Classics had a campaign where you know put your name on the list to get point blank release so like i was like you know okay so finally i I don't know i think it was like 2003 four five six they finally put it on dvd and i was like one of the first people to get it and that's a movie where again uh i'm not a huge fan of the artsy kind of like the french new wave films godard those kind of things that movies that just are there for you know like a lot of the 60s fair like where there's just a folk song and people (laughs) running around you know smoking and high you know i like more you know but point blank has some of that you know, it has kind of this, and it, and for some reason, it works for me in that movie. And that movie basically uh, is about Lee Marvin. They do a job at the beginning of the movie. Then Lee Marvin is and John Vernon, who I think didn't we just bring John Vernon up, the the mayor from Dirty Harry, who's the the dean from um, yeah Animal House. Animal House. It's his first movie. They double cross Lee Marvin. He they leave him for dead. They think he's they shot and killed him. He wakes up, and then the whole movie's him trying to go. And get his money back, and then Carol O'Connor's in it. He's the very early role for Carol O'Connor. It's got a very big cast, and John Borsman, who goes on to do like Excalibur and um, what's the other movie he did? Uh, uh, Deliverance. 
Uh, and then they, the whole point is the principal. Lee Marvin wants his fucking money, yeah. and, and he wants revenge for what they did. And, and, and Isn't it's, that Mel Gibson movie kind of a remake? And of that's, that? Yeah. So then you further that down the road. I think it's the pay, either payback or the big payback. It's The name is off the James Brown song. Yeah. Is they basically remade Point Blank. Point Bra- point blank. Yeah. And I think it's it's got the same beats where it's like, because in that movie, it's only like a certain amount. They only own like $500 or something stupid. Yeah, yeah. And, and, Mel, and then that's why, like, you know, they're like, uh, William Devane's like, it's only $500 they owe you, you know? <laughs> but he's like, it's the principal, you know? And they, so I've always loved that movie. And then they say that this was a big. That, that movie had a big influence. Yeah, on that. This movie. And then uh, La Cirque Rouge, yeah. which is this very notorious French. Um, by Jean-Pierre Melville? Yeah, and, and uh, Jean, Jean-Marie Volonté, the, the actor who I love who's in Christ, stopped at Eboli, and he's also the bad guy. In and the that's why first... the club is called the Red Circle. Exactly, because that's translates. He's also in the first Fistful of Dollars, and for a few dollars more, he has a role in that. And that's a really well-regarded heist, crime heist film of the era, of yeah, the 70s. Yeah. And there's a couple other movies they hit like on the here. The Killer. The Killer. The well, John Woo The movie. John Woo movie from the 80s. Uh and and it to me it it, it it's like the end of although it's not my favorite Eastwood Western Unforgiven the ending in Unforgiven where this is kind of the same story where like uh you know William Money I think his name in the movie in the movies he was this notorious you know outlaw killer and it takes a woman to to kind of um, domesticate him and take him away from that life and at the beginning of Unforgiven you find out his wife just died so, and he's trying to take care of the you know he's really bad at doing this really domesticated yeah, yeah. life and then. This world brings him back, and he begrudgingly goes back into it just to make ends meet. But then at the end, when they kill Morgan Freeman, and shit goes off, he's they're like, well, what did he do? And then he starts drinking again. Like, that whole last sequence is him, like, unleashing the hell on yeah, the yeah. town and the people. Who, you, you know, tell I'm coming. Yeah, and hell's coming with me. And hell's coming <laughs> <laughs> I almost got confused. And, you know, it's the, same, it's the same, exactly, you know, you know, because I'll come back and kill every one of you sons of bitches. It's like this is the whole movie. It's 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 this classic story. It's like well, Keanu Reeves says. It's a convention. It's, it's a, the Old Testament. Like, yeah, you're going yeah. to get your revenge, you know. And there's a there's an interesting story, which I don't know if it had any relation on this on the uh, the story, but uh, on the on the script. But there's the guy um, Marcus Luttrell, who I've met several times, who's the guy, the character who was the movie they made, Lone Survivor, uh-huh. with Mark Wahlberg, and he's the guy. His unit was decimated, I think, in like 2005 in Afghanistan, and he was the last one to survive. And it's a very touching movie, his story. He came back from. Uh, Afghanistan 2005 and to help him get over the trauma of what he did there of what happened there his whole unit getting killed and all that they gave him a Labrador a Labrador puppy yeah. and he named it Daisy D-A-S-Y and that was an acronym for the people I think is in his unit that he lost and he, this was going to be part of, part of his treatment of over his P- PTSD and all that kind of thing yeah. and then in 2009 one night he hears a gunshot outside his house. He wakes up. He checks on his mom. He goes outside. He sees his dog shot dead, and he sees across the street these dudes like laughing about it. So he sneaks up on these guys and he starts questioning them. And they take off. And he grabs his guns. He goes after them. And he chases them like at some points over a hundred miles an hour through like three different counties, going after these guys on the phone nine one one saying like these guys killed my dog, and you guys better fu- catch up with me because I'm going to kill these guys if you don't get, you know, and law enforcement came, got him, and come to find out those guys not only killed his dog, but there's been a rash in the area of animal dogs being killed by this gang of people. But that was like, he talks about like, you know, the trail, he's like, and to think about the baggage that brought with him, that he, this is something that, you know, he had such a fucked up 
Afghanistan, this tour there, and then the inspiration for the book that led to the movie Lone Survivor. And then he gets this Labrador as a device to help him cope. And then these people, you know, it's like he could have went and killed everybody. You know, it's, you know, so uh, there's an element here where I don't know if that influenced the plot of this movie. But I hear that there is a correlation that maybe the guy, the screenwriter who wrote yeah. this, well, you know, dog's also named Daisy in this too. Yeah. Oh, then it might be. Yeah, it, it has to be like a slight nod or something to it. Uh, but then, so it's hard because like that was the thing I was worried about. That was my elephant in the room. Why I won't watch? Like I haven't seen the damn what's the what's the penguins. Fucking March of the Penguins because I you know the penguins yeah. die and it's like I, I'm just a pussy. By the There's a pretty good western um, that came out a few years ago. After this, I think, by Ty West, who's known primarily for horror movies. It stars Ethan Hawke and maybe John Travolta's a bad guy. And Dion knows I have a big thing about John Travolta playing bad guys. And I, I usually don't uh, like them. I sometimes agree with you. <laughs> but it's uh, Look at C, the, the remake of uh, Taking the Pound 1, 2, 3, or The Punisher 2004. But in some ways, it's kind of a, it's kind of a Western John Wick. And it's... it's uh, Who's who plays him in it? Uh, it's Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke plays them. Yeah, that sounds familiar. It's kind of like a. I feel like he's a drifter going through the town, and uh, I don't want to give too much away. But, he kills everybody. <laughs> but you know, something happens. Some idiots do something, and he retaliates. But that's you know that's kind of that's a man with no name. Like, yeah, I mean, there's a, with the mule and this fistful of dollars, or for you know, I mean, then there's in this, this particular case. He has a dog. <laughs> in Keanu's case. In the Ethan Hawk. Oh, he has a dog too? Oh, yeah. I can't watch it. There you go. But, uh, but then, you know, these are all like age old conventions. Yeah. You know, if you go to, if you have like the heist movie, there's like the one last heist. Yeah. yeah. You know, we need to pull, pulling you back in for this one last <laughs> one job. One last thing, you know, you know? do one last job. Uh, and those jobs never end up being right. <laughs> it never, <laughs> never works out. Uh, you know, in these kinds of movies, you're saying with, you know, Unforgiven, in this case, there's like the retired hitman that's brought back for one last job. Yeah, you know, one <laughs> last thing or forced back in. He's trying to get out of the life, but they keep pulling me back in, you know. Because of, uh, you know, revenge. Carlito then, gets out of prison and they keep the life pulls him back in, you exactly. know. Exactly. Sh- he just wants to be a car salesman down in the island, you know. Because in a lot of ways, like, they're. <clears throat> Like perfect, you know, dramatic pieces of you know narrative structure. You know, it's like basic feral. Yeah, and there's like, things that we can all, you know, whether or not we've all had those situations. Obviously, not or similar situations. We can understand this idea and and the tragedy of having someone. <clears throat> sorry, get a little. The tragedy of having somebody. Uh, you know, trying to get out of something yeah. that bad and then being forced back into it. Yeah. You know, he's somehow he managed, you know, we, we only get pieces of exposition that set a backstory. Well, they turn him into like a mythical kind of character. Which, that's the other which thing is a, the brilliant, like, you know, I mean, they talk him up more. It's one of these stories where that's almost cliched. Where, Don't tell me, John, wait, whoever his name is coming. Joe Blow's coming. <laughs> it's well, Joe Blow. Yeah. yeah oh, well, oh you, know, you know, when we it's did, almost a, pu- a butt of a joke. Yeah, well, you know, the, we, you know, we've, I've, I'm sure I've said it on the show. I mean, I know we probably brought it up when we did Halloween, but you know, there's, you know, Donald Pleasance, Doctor Loomis is, you know, for the most part is Michael Myers is like hype man. Yeah, you know, 
Yo, death's come to your little town, Sheriff. Jesus, you, you know, just, just like Colonel Troutman is Rambo's hype man. Yeah. Hype man. You're going to need you a know? big supply of body bags. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to go out there with that many men, you're going to need one thing. Oh, yeah, what's that? Big supply of body bags. You talk about this man like he's a god. <laughs> no, because God would have murdered me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's good point, Colonel Troutman. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a fun, but also, again, like an amazing device. Yeah. And the fact that he doesn't have one, John Wick doesn't have one hype man, but his legend is just like Michael Myers, you know, he really was the boogeyman. You know, John Wick is the boogeyman. He's he, he's the guy that goes and kills the boogeyman, or whatever. You know, they so say. there is like this mythology around him, and when you Baba Yaka, Baba Baba Yaka, or whatever they they're, they're calling him in the movie, you know, he is like in a lot of ways, you know, he is Michael Myers. He's yeah. like this unstoppable. He's death. force. Yeah, you know, and it's and, it's like Javier Bardem, and there will be blood, like. You know, yeah, he's unstoppable. It's 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 kind of that, you know. Um, he's going to accomplish whatever he is set out to do, no matter what, you know. And that's a con- convention that like, goes back to the. And I would I would love to have seen if this movie was done in the sixties or seventies. Would you? I mean, they originally, when they wrote the movie, um, written by Derek uh, Kolstad, he wrote it as a spec script. He said he didn't look at it. With modern actors playing it in mind, he set the character to be in his maybe middle to late 60s, yeah. so he's retired, and that he looked at it like maybe like a Paul Newman who at the time, I guess it died because Paul Newman passed away, what, 2011 or nine? I forget what yeah. Paul Newman died. But he was looking uh, at it like that, like a guy who, you know- A the, guy who had been around long enough to warrant that kind of the prestige mythology, or, yeah. that urban legend status where he's, he was around for so long, and now he's <clears throat> retired and- you know, the limey's kind of like that. Yeah, exactly. Another great movie. Yeah, I love that, which I haven't seen in a very long time. So he wrote a spec strip script, which he called Scorn, and then he, I guess, he passed it to the to the guys who were now connected to the Matrix, right? The two. Um, well, yeah. I mean, originally the the company I forget the name of the company, but the company that did the Expendable movies. Yes. Uh, I forget the producer's name. Basil, Basil, something or other. They optioned the script. And uh, it's that easy. And uh, this, uh, unfortunately, I forgot the producer's name. I f- uh, forgive me, Basil. But uh, <clears throat> this this producer, Basil, something. Or oh, other. Ba- Basil, um, a, a wacky. I W A N K I Wonk. Why can't yeah? I don't know, but he so he did those expendable movies movies with Stallone, and he kind of thought this idea of <clears throat> an older guy was kind of irrelevant and probably not the biggest box office decision. So he just decided to go with someone who had been in the business a long time. And so then they sent it to Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves really liked the script. And Keanu Reeves sent the script to uh, two stunt guys that he had worked with who had a stunt coordinating company and, and were stunt men. Uh, that he worked with on the Matrix movies. That he, yeah. One of them was his, his body, his stunt double on the Matrix. Uh, Chad Stahelski, sure, <laughs> and David Leach, yeah, and uh, he sent it to them with supposedly the not Stacy Keach, <laughs> David, <laughs> David Leach. Yeah. Although Steve, I could see Stacy Keach in this movie, yeah. um, with the intent of you know maybe they would choreograph the action or scenes. do the uh, second unit, stuff. second unit stuff because yeah. they had done second unit, they had started doing second unit on a lot of films. I mean, these guys have worked. 
either a stuntman's or stunt coordinators or second unit on some great movies, including yeah. a lot of John Carpenter's, uh, you know, later movies like Ghosts of Mars and vampires, but big, big budget movies too. Obviously, the Matrix, the Ma- is, yeah. obviously the Matrix was a huge movie. And that second Matrix movie where that, I mean, that set records at the time, that highway sequence in the Matrix, yeah. that whole fucking shit they were doing there was mind-blowing. But these guys were looking for a first feature to be, to not be second unit directors, but first unit directors. And put it on the, yeah, put themselves As, on the map. Uh, now, I, this guy who was Keanu Reeves' stunt double in The Matrix, who ends up getting the sole directing credit on this movie because of the Director's Guild. Yeah. It was actually directed by both Chad Stahelski and David Leach, but David Leach ends up getting producing credit because there's some rule about the Director's Guild if you don't establish yourself with... There's some, some they rule... They didn't of, file correctly or something where they... You could have multiple people direct a movie, but they didn't do something the right way so when they got around to because it's like that's why Robert Rodriguez lo- left the the director's guild was because he wanted co-directing credits with him and Frank Miller oh, for, for Sin City yeah okay and they wouldn't let him do that I don't know why so he's like well then fine I'm gonna leave the director's guild um you know a little bit of history in terms of this uh Chad Stahelski is that he was a really good friend of Brandon Lee's. Yeah. And they both were uh, students at the Inosanto Academy of Martial Arts, which was started by Dan Inosanto, who was uh, best is probably best known because he was a training partner of Bruce Lee's and one of the few people that Bruce Lee kind of appointed, you know, to be an, an instructor of Jeet Kune Do, which was Bruce Lee's martial art that he, his own version of Kung Fu that he created. And see, uh, and the, he's the, the one, dragon, because we did that last February, we talk all about that. Yeah, and Dan and Osanto is also the guy that introduced Bruce Lee to the nunchucks and taught him how the to do The rest is n- history. <laughs> and I think they have a nunchuck battle in Game of Death because he's one of the people on the various levels. Oh, he's the, not Kareem uh, Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> but yeah. He's not the end Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Now, when uh, it seems it seems uh, that uh, Stahelski got into the movie business because uh, of the tragedy of The Crow, mm. when Brandon Lee died while making The Crow, and they decided that they were going to finish the movie, that he became uh, one of the body doubles. Oh, I remember there was for, a big thing for they Brandon CGI'd Lee, a couple they of scenes. Sand, they would CGI Brandon Lee's face on... D- depending on the scene, either Chad Stahelski or one of the stunt doubles. So that's kind of how he got his foot in the door of uh, the movie business. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I, he apparently was very close friends with uh, Brandon Lee. And then he went on and, and did some acting parts I- in things like Bloodsport 3 and whatnot, and then parlayed that into a stunt career. Uh, so I just thought that was some interesting trivia. And, you know, I think one of the things here... Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not a, in any way kind of like fluent in like, you know, uh, with technical savvy about guns and action sequences, but it always bothered me like growing up where you'd have a scene in a movie where, you know, a guy never changes the clip in a gun or, you know, yeah. he, that was the thing with, maybe I remember Miller's Crossing. I always find it so silly because there's a scene when I forget the guy I had under the bed with the Thompsons. It might be even be, what's his face who just died? Um, uh, uh, Oh, what the what the hell is his name? Uh, uh, who's in? Uh, he's in Albert Finney. 
Isn't Albert Finney maybe Miller's Crossing? It's but been the, so long since I've seen They try to kill him, but he grabs two Thompsons, and then for like the next like, like six minutes, he's just shooting two Thompsons, chasing these guys out of the house, and he's, yeah, and he's yeah. in the street and loading. It's like the guy never changes the clip, you know? And it was always a thing with me where it's like I'd always be notice, noticing that or people hold – you can always tell an extra. Uh, I I've, was an extra on The Departed, the 2006 movie, and I was in a scene where we were doing like um, – a shooting range scene, and nobody knew how to hold a gun. And I'm like, no one's going to teach people. And I had gone gone to, to, to the shooting range growing up and stuff, so I had I was kind of familiar with how to hold a gun right and how to. So I had to show some of these people how to. It's like, and you know, you would think they'd go through that. And even most recently to like the Punisher series uh, that was on Netflix, uh, I talked to people who were like in law enforcement or military, and a lot of people had problems just because. And it's silly because to the normal person, you don't notice it, but you think like a series with the Punisher where. It's geared to guys like since um, uh, what's his face died, who the the uh, uh, Kyle, who then became in the American Sniper movie. It's like the Punisher skull is adorned itself now to like a, a certain fragment of the military, using where you know that kind of thing. So you, the Punisher represents something to these people. So when you see that, you think they they hire like people like this from John Wick yeah. to do it right, so you won't just have people wearing the wrong body armor or holding a gun wrong. You know, running like holding just the stock of the gun and not over the pistol grip, or you know. And I used to always notice that stuff growing up. I'm like, this is just so silly. Then when you have a movie like Heat come along. And he actually uses the sound effects of the guns going off on set as opposed to, like, dubbing gunshots in later. It sounds so much more realistic. And that's a, a thing Michael Mann did then, like, you know, on and Collateral and all his other various movies. I always loved that. And he was kind of always trying to top himself with a shootout in Miami Vice or whatever. Um, so when you get to this movie and you see, like, just the 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 realness not only the stunt work but then just seeing the stuff they're doing here it's just mind-blowing they're always you know they're always uh reloading they're always doing this or that uh, a lot of the martial the judo then the jujitsu you know he's doing twists i mean they're really falling onto floors getting up and he's shooting i mean yeah. it's just it's it's just sometimes virtual overload and i think that was the reason maybe i had problems with john wick too is just it's just so too much it's like i gotta i gotta take a you know it's almost like you're just it's there's so much going on yeah i saw something recently and i can't remember what it was but it was so action-packed near the end of it i felt like i was beat up i was like it's just too much stimuli on the screen like if you you know it's like watching a race from the driver's seat the entire time you're gonna you know get fatigued yeah you know so it's 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 an interesting approach for keanu reeves to, to bring to bring these guys there and then I think they both agreed, yeah, we should direct. And he's like, I was hoping you'd say you'd direct. And so he brings them along, and they end up helming this. And uh, it, it's written, the spec script is called Scorn, but then I guess Keanu Reeves just starts telling everybody, I'm in this movie called John Wick. So after a while, they're like, yeah, that's an appropriate title. Yeah. And the screenwriter who wrote it, he took it because his grandfather's name was John Wick. I think he was a war vet, and he was in his 80s. And he's like, oh, it's a cool name, John Wick. So he uses the name John Wick. And that becomes the tagline for this. Um, and the basic premise of the movie, which we probably give half and away, he's a retired hitman who's met a girl and she, I guess, has domesticated him and they move out of the city to the suburbs. And then she dies. Um, I thought it, it looked like she dies quickly of, a, of an illness. Like I thought she had an aneurysm and goes like over a course of a day. But then In the letter, it says, yeah, it says like I'm getting ill now. So yeah. I thought maybe it was something tragic, like it looked like they were having their two-year reunion or anniversary. He gave her that locket or bracelet, and then when they were out after dinner, she w- they were walking along. It looked like she had a seizure or something. Yeah, well, maybe, who knows? I mean, the, the, this know, movie, in a lot of ways, like I love that this movie doesn't 
take time to yeah that, that, to establish yeah. things. Well, that goes back to the influence I think they said of the of the spaghetti westerns, where you know nothing about Eastwood's character. Yeah. Not even you don't even really know his real name. He's Tuco or he's Blondie or whatever. So that that doesn't matter, you yeah. know. So it's like here, it's it's re- like uh, I don't know if I've said this on mic or off mic to you, but we've discussed this where it's like nowadays my biggest problem with these superhero movies is like I got to spend an hour learning already. I already know how Spider Man became Spider Man. <laughs> well, they did kind of skip that for the. I new didn't one. see the last one, but I mean, like or bat, you know, Batman. It's like Batman Begins. It's an hour and a half in. I'm like, I haven't even seen Batman yet, man. I want to see Batman. Yeah, you know. So it's like. I thought the Edward Norton Hulk did it cool, where you just, in the credits, let's rehash what happened. By the time they say directed by Joe Blow, you already know. You're up to speed. So this is kind of like this, where it's just very quick. You know, it informs you very quickly his backstory. I mean, there's some, you know, there's obviously expositional dialogue. But for the most part... But it's not clunky. We see some flashback. We don't know if when she collapses you know, by the bridge or whatever, if when they're going for a walk, whether that's the first time when they discover that she's sick yeah. or if that's at the very end, when, yeah. like right before she dies. We don't know. We don't need to know. We know enough. Yeah, I had a senior film where I had the uh, a, a, a girl we know that was in it that she was ill. I never even told anybody what it was, but it, it's not needed. You know, <laughs> it was just a MacGuffin to forward a plot, you know, and, and it's, 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 it's sad because then it's very quick. I mean, the beginning of it's amazing where you just see the car bump up. He gets out. He's bleeding out. You don't know what's going on. And then, like you yeah. said, he takes his camera, his thing out, and you watch. He's and you feel like, oh, he's dying. Oh, I'm interested. Flashback. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it's you know, you're yeah, there and yeah. you you see him wake up. And I'm very, sure other movies did that, but that was, you know, when I made all those movies with my friends in high school, we started doing that a lot because it felt like a very Tarantino-esque yeah. way of telling a story, sure. which is like show us the end first, yeah, and then show us how I got there. Obviously. Not the first Tarantino was not the first filmmaker to do that. <laughs> no, he just started. I think he brought it back into a time where people were set to a, a template, and they didn't, they're like, well, "Oh, even, this is new." You know, double indemnity is like you know, Fred McMurray, he's like, bleeding out over the over the recorder. He's dictating to, to Walter Keys, Ever G. Robinson, and his on his. Uh, about a damn. Yeah, you, you you knew Keys, old time Keys, and. and <laughs> The asshole Edward G. Robinson is just sitting there listening to it the whole time, letting him bleed out. I've been here the whole time. See, I just wanted to see how long you'd make it. Um, I followed the blood in. So in a way, I mean, you know, it's just it, it, everything. Just another great kind of, but you know, it's, classic plot device. I think we've established that nothing is new. Really, yeah. yeah. It's just how you do it. And it's and it's I like I said it's laughable. It's, he it's it, don't tell me it's Blake. Oh no, <laughs> you know it's like yeah, you, can, yeah. you know it could be anybody. You, you, you tell me it's Pee Wee Herman. Oh no, it's Pee Wee Herman. But it's it's how you do it. Yeah, yeah. you know that that it works. It's so effective. Well, what this movie does do aside from using all these old classic narrative conventions, using them well, one thing that it also does is like it establishes like this weird 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 world. Of you know John Wick, of the Continental, of the, these coins, you know, and and does it all without a ton of exposition. Yeah, and, but then know? it makes it so much more believable because I think once you start trying to explain this stuff, is when you st- may hit roll bumps, and then if you think too, if you overthink it, it may you know. I love the idea that like the Continental, it's a neutral ground place, you know. There's no business on the ground. It's almost like fucking st- you know uh, Deep Space Nine, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, where you go to the outpost, you know, it's it's like a yeah, bar yeah. out in the old west, you know. You can't bring your irons in take the guns off at the door you know and, you know so that when something goes we don't have that you gotta go outside you know it's all this mystique of uh 
You know, that was another thing I liked about the Constantine movie, where it's like there's this whole other world that you don't realize, but then when you get into it, you're like, oh, okay, I believe it. You yeah, know, the yeah. prophecy and all these kind of, where it's just so fantastical. I mean, this in the, in the wrong hands, this movie could have became a very, like, John Woo exploitation be your C-level movie. Yeah. You know, Which, there's nothing wrong with not, that. Nothing at all. No, I, those but, are some of my favorite movies. And it obviously takes a lot from those movies. Yeah. But then makes somehow manages to take everything that's familiar and for me anyway pull it do straddle that line of like this is cliche to this is also something i've also never seen before kind of yeah like it's so cliche even at the end where he's like no bullets you know, one on one. It's like ridiculous. But you kind of expect, you know, like it would be more in the vein of John Wick to be like, okay, and then just shoot the guy. <laughs> well, yeah. that's what I love. I didn't really notice it as much this turnaround, but I love uh, when he finally gets up to what's his face to uh, um, Alfie McAllen. What's his What's his name? Alf from from the Game of Thrones. Yeah, um, uh, Allen. Alfie Allen plays Yosef. Yeah. Alfie Allen, when he, Alfie Allen, he shot him a, a half a dozen times, and he's just about to say it was just a fuck, and he doesn't even let him finish. He just shoots him. <laughs> that's it. I love that. Yeah, I, mean, he, I was clapping. I kind of expected that's how he would treat the father, Victor, at the end. But, but maybe he had very because, much more respect. Yeah, yeah. You know, but this idea of, t- you know, I don't know. Like it was, it it obviously so much of this movie is cliche and done before, but they managed to twist it or do it in a way well, that it just kind of felt like it wasn't. You know, some of it was a joke, you know, was like playing on it for entertainment's sake, I feel like, playing on the cliche in some cases, uh, you know, being aware of what an audience's reaction would be to certain lines and stuff like that. But also just presenting this weird, unique world that also maybe isn't totally unique, but felt very unique and felt very had history, you know, it felt, you know, had had a nice patina on yeah, it yeah. in a way. Like the history of the continent, oh, like you guys redone the place. Oh, that we did that about four years ago. And this currency of the gold coins and never having to explain that. Like I could totally see a studio giving notes saying, you know, like, well, you know, like I, people are not going to understand what's going on with these gold coins. But, you know, being able to give the audience credit enough to say like they don't nobody's gonna give a shit about yeah like the backstory of the gold coins and yeah. what you need them for and what they are we don't need William <laughs> Devane coming out like I buy gold <laughs> <laughs> you know it's just we see him we see him use them first time we see him use them is like he calls a number and he says I have a reservation for 12 and then David Patrick Kelly comes up he hands him 12 coins and it's great too I love David Patrick Kelly comes in he lets the guy he's just staring up at him like you look good <laughs> He's like, you're back. You know, like, I, like, just so much in that little, he's got three lines in the movie, you know, it's just, yeah. I, it's and he, so great. And when he goes to the hotel, he hands it, he hands it to a guy, he gets a room, he hands, puts one in the slot to get into the speakeasy. And it just creates like this great like, lived like, in history. Yeah. It gives, the, it gives it backstory without giving, without explaining a backstory. Like it gives it history. It gives depth to the entire movie. I think we were, when you you take the other side of the spectrum, the Matrix movies, which are so over the top because within the context of the movie, it's a video game. It's computerized. It's it's in people's heads. It's supposed to be like a live action anime. Yeah. You know, and so you see the, 
the the ridiculousness of what they're accomplishing in that. And then the other side of the coin, in the two thousand, in the late two thousands, um, you know, Michael Mann's doing it. Uh, Collateral is another good example of of the the nightclub sequence in Collateral. If you remember that, where he shoots the the target. Like I'd love to see Tom Cruise's character, the hitman. Uh, you know, in this movie, playing this, it's almost they're they're interchangeable the the parts. Yeah. You know, but um. By the time you get to, like, Taken, you're seeing these movies where there's a pushback on the realism. And I keep hitting back at this, how realistic it is for people, where you see uh, much less of, of Hollywoodizing it as in what you would really as, – as convoluted and as fantastic as this movie plot John Wick is, that in the context of the real world, this is how it would work. And, the, you know, um, the proper stances, the proper gun, running out of yeah. bullets, like I said, using real techniques, going after real guys. They're actually, you're having long takes where you're seeing two or three different uh, sequences, you know, time out perfectly. Even how, uh, what's his face, is Keanu Reeves' uh, body positioning in it. He has this thing called the center access relock where he's holding a gun a certain way, which is relatively new at the time. And people are like, oh, maybe yeah. that's like the, the the gangster way of holding it sideways and come to find out that's a very full front, uh, like a forefront technique by this guy, Paul Castle, who invented it. It's called CAR, where it's a, it's a system where, again, you see in collateral where you get as soon as you get the gun out of your holster, you start shooting and you yeah. keep it close to you so that in a situation where you don't want to have your arms out because a lot of days – Especially now the war that, you know, the close combat in city streets or whatever, we're teaching um, private contractors in the military. It's going to be a lot of close quarter combat. So in a traditional sense, by the time you put your gun out and you, you get that traditional stance of holding your arms out, I could jump at you. And then all of a sudden we're wrestling for the, for the weapon where yeah. this technique is, you know, as soon as it's out, you're shooting and it's close to you and you're turning your body sideways, which is almost also a martial arts technique where you want to get as much as your body off the line so it's less of a target so if you look straight at somebody but you put your body sideways it's harder to hit you know either throwing a punch a kick or shooting you know so it's just seeing all this stuff done the right way respecting the 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 machines in it and the 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 uh, techniques and the art martial arts in it they were calling this gung gun foo yeah the stuff i mean it's just incredible some of the stuff that apparently I think started with some of the John Woo stuff. Yeah, well, John Woo. I mean, people, but I'm obviously sure know to a less, a lesser extent in John, terms of a lesser intricacy. That, yeah, that's being done here. The realism, but of this it. idea of like close quarter fighting, gun, almost yeah, gun pornography, yeah, but yeah. fighting with guns, anime. Not just shooting. You run out of a bullet and you're fighting. You're, tr- you're martial arts, and this is something that I think really propelled John Woo, especially to fame. Uh, you know, in in the Asia, in Asia, but. That's how in the 90s he came here and doing movies like Face Off and all those. Hard Target. Hard Target. Which we covered here. Yeah, his first <laughs> American movie. I think movie. first year. I, I think, think you're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like that in the 90s, that was huge, that idea of the almost the anime style. And that's where it kind of led up to like The Matrix where you have yeah. that kind of. And then here it's the same kind of a thing. But there is a level of realism because now, and we've romanticized about this on the show, where it's hard to go back to the days of Schwarzenegger Stallone. Just standing in a field, unloading an AK-47, yeah. and the whole army's getting killed, but no one can hit the broadside <laughs> of a barn. You know, you know, you only get like a, like a, you know, like a, uh, a little ding. I mean, there's a certain beauty to that. Yeah, and it's a romance. It's like, wow, this is awesome. But you it's know. a very different thing. But you know, going with what you're saying, it's another for me. It's another aspect of this like duality of the John Wick movie, where it's like it's so fantastic, it's so brilliantly choreographed, yeah. but yet. 
the moves are real. Yeah. You know, it's you this, can actually learn. I mean, there's footage. I think it's from John Wick 2, but we can include it in the cast, and I'm sure people have seen it. But it's kind of Keanu Reeves on, on a shooting range training all this stuff. Yeah. And it's to the point where he's as good or not better, but he's as good as the instructor, this legendary instructor who's done all kinds. I forget his story, but there's an interview with him who he – the, the years that he's been on uh, set doing stuff and gun stuff. And uh, he talks about, like, the inaccuracies he'd seen in movies. Like, there's a yeah. Jason Bourne movie where, you know, he's holding a Glock in a close-up and they cut to the reversal and it's a SIG and they cut back to the... And it's, he's like, oh, come on. It's, how can you have the... <laughs> and the same sh- just shot changes, the gun changes, you know? Yeah. And then in this movie, they really tried to make that conscious decision and going back to Keanu Reeves of how much... You know, usually you'll hear a star will come in and want to learn everything in four or five hours in one day, and then he'll leave and do it at home. Where Keanu's training judo martial arts four months before. He's going to the range training. I mean, they say here eight hours a day for, you know, how many days a week for six months. But, like, he's putting the time in. So but that he's learning how to drive the car. Yeah, he's doing all you the know, he's combat. how to do all the hand-to-hand know, hand combat. Which is he's tr- learning how to do all the gun stuff. And it's crazy because you think about he's coming from movies like The Matrix where he learned a lot of the gun stuff. He learned how to drive cars. So you're kind of re- – it's a refresher course. And uh, – it, it's it's again. There's footage of him doing going through these trials on the sh- range, and that was that fascinates me on the, on disc two of Heat, seeing De Niro and, and Pacino and uh, and uh, Val Kilmer, all the Tom Sizemore going through the logistics of doing the with live rounds, doing the different sequences. Like I find that so much fa- fascinating when you bring the real world in, and uh, it's amazing to see the actors actually doing it. Keanu Reeves doing ninety percent of his own stunt work. Um, I find it funny at the beginning. So when he gets the car. And the car he's driving, it's a 69, they call it a, a, a Mach 1, I think, in it, but it's not a Mach 1 uh, Mustang. It's like a, yeah. it's a 69 uh, GT. And he takes it, we, we, we said already that, um, that, we, uh, that he, he takes the car to an airport to drive around and the, the guard's reading the Trevarian book and he gets in. And we had established a scene before that he had the puppy in the car. And then he yeah. did, so, <laughs> that, that, that poor puppy, he's like, you know, he's be, waiting for the shower. He's getting tossed around. Yeah, you know, you're looking for like the shaking baby syndrome where the poor puppy dies because <laughs> he, because he, it wasn't belted in on like an old fashioned, you know, it's a bench seating. It's sliding around on the leather interior because he, he went and armor all this shit. And it's like, <laughs> you know, looking around like that. Knocked around. Yeah, you know. Uh, but then even the stuff, the, the, the you know, the, the amazing stuff with the car and all that kind of a thing. And then. Uh, when he gets his car stolen. So then we establish that his wife, his girlfriend dies. Stacy gets the puppy. Bad guys see him at the garage, at the at the uh, gas station. Now the evil guys are rushing. Well, his or, wife, we hinted at, his wife leaves him the puppy, like kind of in her will. Yeah. And it's so funny. And, the person who comes, like the, like the UPS worker, is like, here, sign for this. <laughs> and it's, oh, it's a oh, it's And a then dog. there's a very touching letter, which has a daisy on the, so we he's a, we're establishing through visuals that, for some reason, daisies are important to her. There's a daisy on the card, and the bracelet he gives her has da- has like uh, like like daisies in the jewelry. I'm sure if we knew about flowers, we daisy means it can grow and, through anything. And so when he looks at the dog tag and it says daisy, he's like, oh, of course. But she, she gives him a letter, and he's like, and, and we also don't know like how much she knew of what he was. People, like, did she know he was a we'd monster? Ass- you know what? We'd assume in the real world she would know, but this is this world, so yeah. he probably kept. Uh, who knows? You know, yeah, maybe but everybody she, knew that. Maybe no. Maybe she knew that he would. He had done bad things, but I don't know if she knew. Yeah. We don't need to know. But yeah. so there's this whole aspect of we don't know what the relationship was. 
but she says, but she does know him enough to say, like, now that I'm gone, like, you need something to love, and your car doesn't count. Yeah. And you need, like, a person or something, so love this. Like a reason. It also forces him, you know, to, to get over situations, and that's able to, and then she he has an animal. That, yeah. He's like, got to take the dog out. He's got to care for it, and then he'll grow this attachment that you see then, at the end of the movie when he gets the other dog. And then hopefully that, I think in her mind, probably is, like, hopefully that'll lead him caring for this dog will leave, leave him have an open heart to maybe care for somebody else at some point. Yeah, so he gets this like eight week old puppy, uh, Daisy's little beagle, and it's the cutest thing in the world. And he, it's great. I love that he, you know, he cries and or he looks like he breaks down. He reads that card. So right at the beginning, they kind of humanize him, and you know, he has his breaking point. He gets the dog, and he's like, okay, and he's learning the ways of having a dog. He's giving it like like bram flakes in the morning, like <laughs> that dog's gonna shit its brains out, milking. And Wheaties or whatever. <laughs> and then, you know, then very close. So he's at the gas station. The guys come up and they're talking in Russian because Russians are bad guys now. They're like, you know, how much for the car? Blah, 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 blah. And he's driving the Mustang. And then they come to the house later that night. And I guess the only r- reason around why he isn't able to, to, to kill them like he kills everybody else is he's not prepared for them coming into the house. He thinks the dog just has to go outside again in yeah. the bathroom. And then they beat the crap out of him. Why they don't kill him, I don't under, I don't know because, I mean, they don't know who he is. But I would have thought if they're killing his dog, they would kill him. But they don't. They just knock him out. And they kill the, the poor puppy. tries to run away. Very sad. I'm going to cry. He wakes up. Well, I mean, it, it goes. Uh, it goes to like the stupidity and like privilege. Oh, of of, of what's his face, of uh, Yosef, Alfie. Yeah, yeah. Of like the son of this gangster. Yeah, you know how like even if I don't know, and I just feel like it plays into. Like yeah, the, his stupidity, or and even his, like the, and his privilege, like the stereotype of the millennials nowadays, or whatever. Like he's young and entitled, or whatever. <laughs> he feels like he can, you know, like it doesn't matter if he leaves a witness. There's yeah, nothing. Cares. He's untouchable. Yeah, you're not gonna be able to do anything. Because even like when he goes to John Leguizamo, he said, "We own you." And John yeah. Leguizamo's like, "No, you don't. I work for you. I work with your father." Then he punches him in the face, and I love that conversation. Where yeah, John, yeah. you know, John Leguizamo was only in that scene in the movie. I, I remembered him being in more more of it, but then it's like, and then you know when he when he you, he's getting a drink ready he's waiting for the phone call and then the yeah. dad calls him he's well, I love when like the, they put it you know they're gonna you know the Yosef's guys you know they say I forget what they say but they say something along the lines of like you know we're gonna tell Victor and he's like Victor will understand <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know like he'll he'll know he'll understand why I did this so like, when he, like was Adam saying that to yeah, those guys yeah. Yeah, yeah and then when Victor calls him he's like I heard you struck my son he's like I did so, and you could tell like he this is not a conversation like Wazam was looking to have. Yeah, yeah, you can tell he's very, you know, apprehensive, and he's had a couple drinks to prepare him. The phone rang. He's waiting. <laughs> got his jacket off, you know, and then yeah, yeah. And then Victor's <laughs> like, "Well, can I ask you why?" And he's like, "Well, sir, because uh, your son stole John Wick's car and killed John, and killed his dog." <laughs> he goes, "Oh," <laughs> and he goes, "Oh," and then hangs up. I, the I, I understand or whatever, and he hangs up, and that that means he's all right with. He's clear. He's Which cleared and, him. you know, it's setting up. The more the mystique of John. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's like setting up this. And then there's a montage of him, you know, burying the dog in in a in a in the wood. He's still got the same bloody outfit on, and then you see him with a sledgehammer going to his basement and, and destroy his concrete floor yeah. to get the like he's the b- box. he's buried. He's literally buried his old life in the in the which we it's another movie I've seen recently where they had it was in the floor. But he, he opens it up and it's he's got his all his own trade, and he's he got, gets on a bus and goes to Queens or wherever the car lot is to go to John Leguizamo. He gets there. And yeah. John Leguizamo's already turned away the guy. Yeah. And he's sitting there with a with a drink ready he's for like, him. He's like, is it here? 
He's like, well, it was. He's like, here, take this. And he has him <laughs> have a drink, and he finishes the drink, and then it's, it's like, I don't want no trouble with you. And he, you know, and he says, I turned him away, whatever. And he gives him a car. He gives him a 1970 Chevelle. And I bring this up because uh, you and I used to know a guy who had a Chevelle in college. And uh, we have a very funny story. We used to pile around with this guy, and we were all, remember, we were all <laughs> in the back seat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, we were all climbing into his Chevelle, beautiful car, and we were and getting he had in. restored it. Yeah, he restored it as much. No, but he was still working on the interior. This is yeah, where this yeah. comes in. He restored the front of it. It was this beautiful ocean blue two door, you know. And at the time, I didn't appreciate cars as much as I did once I got out of college. So I was like, "This is a really cool car, Chevelle, awesome." It's before the 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 grill changed, so it had the older look. So we're getting into the car. I get into the back seat. You know, you have to you have to push the seat down to get into the back seat. The old days. Blake gets in, and Blake puts his show, his arm on the armrest oh, arm that's on yeah. the side against the the. Uh, on the side of the door. And the door, like the interior, and it just <laughs> goes right off. It was made out of this, like, there was a piece of it that was made out of this very brittle plastic. Yeah, because it was probably so old. And I didn't put, like, a whole lot of weight on it, but it just, like, shattered this piece. And he's like, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh. And he was like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, I'm like, I, I fixed it anyway. Yeah, like, I think he... He he was a nice guy, so he played it off. But I think he was irritated about it uh, by it. But then later, I think somebody else broke the other one. Yeah, and he kind of realized that they were like really fragile. And yeah, maybe yeah. he was able to get replacement parts yeah. or something. Sadly, he, he ended up uh, totaling that on like the, the, the a couple of years later on the Parkway, he got into a car accident. Oh, he was bad. fine, but the car got totaled. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think it, on the Sawmill Parkway, I don't think it was any fault of his own. And like you know. But it was such a beautiful car. But so every time I see Chevelle, I think of that. The <laughs> <laughs> breaking his ar- his arm is is the the backseat armrest on the on the interior. Um, but they give him a Chevelle and he goes off and he go and then yeah, the, the, everybody's like the rumblings in the air. David Patrick Kelly's back in the game. No, yeah. the work. <laughs> no, no. But it's see, like it's he is not even building the movie. And at the end of the movie. He's in the credits, but when they show everybody and uh, special appearance by Ian McShane, NBC brought to you by, you know, yeah. they don't even put Ke- David Patrick Kelly in until when the credits roll, you see his name. So I was like, is anybody going to give David Patrick Kelly his due here, who this is? He's showing up in this little cameo. I think Walter Hill was the only person that really ever gave him his due. Right. Well, he's in a, yeah, I mean, he's in a bunch of shit, but you're right, you know, but... I think people like us, hardcore people, know who he is, you know, from the Warriors, Commando, uh, last 48 Man Hours, Standing, last one of Man my Standing, particular favorites. freaking, um, uh, what's the name of that movie, Dreamscape, he's the bad guy one in One of your particular favorites. That scares the hell out of me. But that's Not a Walter Hill movie. Not a Walter Hill movie. So uh, that, again, that made me fall Commando. in love with his movie, Commando, uh, right when I saw it. Uh, but it's just, yeah, it starts this whole world, and then it's like... I, uh, again, it's it's hilarious. Is like then then the, the, you better send everybody. So they send everybody to his house to kill him right initially when this starts going down, and he kills everybody. Well, yeah. Well, this scene is really important because this is the first time we see him in action. How badass he is! So yeah. it's like it's a very smart f- like filmmaking decision to make this scene so intricate, so choreographed. Yeah, you know, it's probably the most gracefully choreographed scene of the whole movie yeah. is this opening scene. But it's the one we need as an audience to know. Like when we did Taken, we saw like it was like when he beats up that guy in the cab. <laughs> oh. Like we needed we need one scene to see just how badass or he is. Or at the beginning when he's at the rock concert, he beats that guy up that yeah, comes at him. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. We yeah. see him there, but it was like we really see him like unleashed on that guy, chasing him like out of the cab and stuff in Taken. Yeah. This one is like we need some – 
movie to set the pace of what the action is going to be. Scene, yeah. And to see just how badass John Wick is. And this scene fucking delivers its fate. Whether he's like kneels down, shoots through the wall, or he breaks that guy's neck on the, on on the, the side <laughs> of the table. And he's, or he's, he's, I mean, he's, he's doing these falls where he's break falling and then he's using the other guy's gun. Or, you know, it's the idea of like he grabs a guy and he's tussling with him, but then he shoots the guy coming at him, a couple guys. Then he'll shoot this guy in the face and the gun, and he's always really loading well i feel like this kind of starts in the 90s with hong kong cinema yeah that's why i, I met with the john woo kind of yeah, stuff yeah. and bringing even, that over here but even past the, the the like the gun play of john woo but you know like the martial arts movies of that like that 90s jackie chan boom yeah jet lee donnie yen we covered drunken master 2 yeah. Here last year in Kung Fu February 2000, which, when we did also Enter the Dragon. AKA Legend of the Drunken Master. Yeah, so you have a lot of that slapping and all that kind of stuff, like, like a lot that of up very close. very intricate, you know, the Hong Kong martial arts movies take a turn at some point in the 80s uh, and then into the 90s where it, they just take a turn in tone, you know, whether they're still, whether they're still doing the, the uh, classic like wire foo, but like ancient China. Yeah. You know, even things, you Feudal know, stuff like the Sui Hark movies of the once upon a time in China movies with Jet Li, but they, they kind of up the intensity of the choreography and the beauty of how, you know, that's done, you know, these b- intricate, like dance sequences. Well, it makes it look basically. like anybody can do it. Like you want to go out and <laughs> pick a fight with somebody because you think you're going to be able to do this, you know, with these. You know. And then Jackie Chan ends up like upping the game, adding a little bit of humor, but not, but also upping the like the amazingness of what he's actually doing. So he, when we get into, you know, The Matrix was obviously kind of born out of that, you know, taking it even past what. Uh, Yuan Wu Ping was trying to do, you know, doing with the choreography of of Crouching Tiger, which was kind of such a fantasy of of Wirefu, you know, kind of grounding it in a much more stylistic, but even though Wirefu and craziness, but also a more realistic style of martial arts than was happening with uh, Crouching Tiger, and then this is like the next ev- step of the evolution, which is this. Beautifully, like to a T, choreo- choreography going on where he's doing these judo moves on him with the gun in hand. That's and another thing. Flipping which, him around. I mean, it's it is gorgeous. It's to amazing watch. to think a lot of these techniques are being done when he's he's holding a firearm in his hand. So it's like you got to think about that practically. Like he, it, you know, it seemed. I noticed when he gets the puppy, he signs. He signs lefty. So I'm like, he's a lefty. <laughs> yeah, I'm a lefty too. I'm part of the crowd. But then. I think the entire movie he shoots righty, so and, you know that, that happens to some people. But to think that like one of his hands is monopolized by a holding a weapon with you know, and then you're able to still, and then he's doing professional stuff where he's dropping a clip, putting a new clip in in a second, and like you know, recycling through something, yeah. and you know, and, and all this stuff where he's grabbing somebody else's gun, and then also the guns look really slick in this movie, like you know the muzzle suppressors, like his gun he's using with the like muzzle suppressor on the ends, very you know. New looking. There's a there's the machine gun he uses in this. It's called like a CA four fifteen. Uh, that one that he gets when he when he just goes at he when they're outside the church and he just takes on the entire crew and kills them. It's one and it's it's all proper techniques that you see born out of like heat 
where you know Heath's bank robbery is so like mind blowing within the within cinema because they're using techniques that people learn. You know, combat. Yeah. You cover your guy, one guy goes. You cover that guy, the other guy goes. You know, and you before that, th- that would you know you didn't really see a lot of that in cinema. So like to see this level of expertise. Yeah. In this kind of a movie, or at the end of the movie, he's using that Caltech. It's this crazy-looking 12-gauge shock, shotgun where it just, you know, it doesn't even look like a shotgun. That's when he gets the rush. He's like, "Where's your? Where is he?" And the, the 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 father tells him where the son finally is. Yeah, he's yeah. like, "Okay, okay, gets out of the car. Like, calm down, <laughs> calm down." Like with that thing, it's like there's all these future futuristic weapons, and it's like. It transcends because not only is he an expert in martial arts, he's not only is an expert in, in hand-to-hand combat and and uh, weapons. You know, he he's able to then incorporate all this stuff and then the brutality of it, where he's getting yeah. the it's the old Mel Gibson Bruce Willis school, where he's getting the shit kicked out of him in these movies. Yeah, and you know, and then I love the like when he goes to the home and he comes in and there's all these slight, beautiful. Uh, funny jokes like so he t- takes out all these guys at his house and then there's a there's a do- knock on the door and you know you, he can't see because the the windows are mosaic or whatever but he could see that there's flash there's a cop because the the, the you can see the red lights from the co- siren he opens a door and it's just the local sheriff yeah. up in the county oh hi jimmy hey and he's like hey john everything okay he's like yeah he's like you everything he's like i'm just working some stuff out and he looks over and he, looks, he sees oh there's dead bodies everywhere he's like <laughs> You know, everything like, okay? You go back to work? You're working again? He's like, no, like, no just working some things out. He's, he's like, like oh, all right, well, uh, I'll let you go. Yeah. <laughs> and he leaves. So it's like <laughs> he's okay with it. There's that scene, and then there's the, the the next funny scene where he finds out that I think, was it when he goes to the Red Circle with the guys hanging out, or wherever he's, the Russian baths where he finds out the guy's hiding, yeah. he sees the, the, the friend go in. And there's a big bodyguard. I love that scene. He goes up out of the shadows, puts a gun to the back of the guy's head. He's like, hey, Francis. He's like, hello, John. Oh, yeah. That guy's played by, uh, I forget his real name, Nash. Kevin Nash, maybe. He used to be Diesel. My name's Kevin Nash. His name was, he was, he used to be Diesel back in the day Freddy on WWE. <laughs> oh, he's a wrestler. F. Back oh, in okay. The way it, was back, it was like, uh, Diesel and Razor Ramon, and then they were also part of the NWO. Yeah, I remember that. That's he was the tall guy with brown hair. Oh, that's crazy. With the long brown hair, yeah. Because they have him looking like a Russian. Does he have gray hair? And he has gray hair yeah. now, yeah. But I love it's like he's like- um, So he lost weight. He's like, hey, Francis, and this is all in Russian. He's like, about 60, he's going to say one kilo, 60 pounds. And he's like, oh, you look good. He's like, okay. And then he says, like, you want to take the, you know, you should take the night off. It's like in Scarface, there's that scene where in uh, Frank Lozier- when when <laughs> Al Pacino, Frank Lozier, from thinking of Robert Lozier gets you know that he meets his demise with Tony Montana, and then uh, Robert Lozier's bodyguards sitting there really nervous and they're about to leave and they look and they're like, "What about Benny? I think his name is Ernie." And he, then he's like, the, and then the scenes, and Ernie's like got sweat and it goes into a close up and then uh, Al Pacino's like, "You want a job, Ernie?" <laughs> like that. He's like, "Sure, Charlie. Tony." He's like, "Thank you." And then you see him like take a swig of Jack Daniels like. Ugh. It's like, you know, it, it's just kind of like this relief. So it's funny this here where he's like, you know, why don't you take the night off? And he, thank you. He like, thank you for giving me this option because there's this yeah, history yeah. there. Or later on when he comes back and he's bleeding out and the guy's like, you know, it's the doctor. And he's like, oh, the doctor's in all the time. And then he sees the doctor and the doctor's like, you know, um, he's fixing him up. And he's like, well, you know, the, you know this thing's you, you could heal. But if you start need to work out, this is going to, you know, Blake out and bleed, you know, but here, take the, you know, it's, it's, I love all that, you know, all the little intricacies. And, you know, there's a few subtle nods that he could have been in the military. Yeah. His tattoo on his back when we see him in the showers, uh, Latin for 
uh, fortune favors the bold, which I guess is a like, kind of a motto of several you yeah. know, military units and stuff. And I think at some point he looks at his watch and it's on the inside of his wrist, not mm-hmm. on the outside of his wrist, which is the way military people often wear their watches. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of, he gives a lot of subtle hints as to like maybe where he got his training yeah. from, which just, you know, just adds most people may, maybe wouldn't even pick up on those things. But the idea of, you know, this this uh, realism that you've been talking about and the idea of that he uses several or a few different shooting styles throughout the entire movie as well as a few different martial arts styles. But yeah. when he uses them, they're very distinct and to, to those, yeah, very yeah. accurate to those specific so that if anybody is like a judo guy, they can recognize the judo moves. Yeah. If anybody is, you know, a trained you know, in shooting, whether it's for, you know, target or target sports or military, they, they could see it and they can recognize it. And it adds this air of authenticity to to everything that he is doing. And that's what really, I love for that, you know, because it just, it says so much more than just having a guy running around with an Uzi that just never reloads it. You know, it's just, it adds almost like credence to it. And that's what, like I said, that really let me down with the Punisher series. It's like, you, you you think they could have just paid an extra of how much <laughs> to just get a, one guy on set who's you know the advisor? And I love that they he, they give him the McQueen turtleneck and sports jacket like towards the end of the movie. Yeah, gives it a very classic. Yeah, even the cars he's driving. I mean, feel. McQueen drives a '67 or '68 fast fastback in Bullet, and he's got the next year he's got a '69 he's driving. And I think the kid says Mach One, like I said before, when yeah. he, in the gas station. But it's actually like a '69. Uh, I think it's a maybe it's a. But fastback. the kid's wrong because the kid thinks it's '70. Yeah, and so it's I mean, not, he could be just yeah. referring to a different model. And, yeah, and then when you because yeah when you see it back out, it looks you know what it has four like two double headlights. It's like you know and it, so it has a very retro style going back to that you know. Like it, like the, um, the idea of it being point uh, blank, the 1967 Lee Marvin movie, or it being like it also uh, kind of feels. There's parts of it that feel very much to me like Get Carter. Yeah, well, that's not, another. Not, not, not so much. The st- I love. I like the stolen one a lot, and obviously there's. But that's know, a remake shade, of a but that's a remake Kane of movie. Michael Caine movie from like the 60s. Yeah, or, or early 70s early was very 70s. British, but it's like that. Uh, even. Going back to the late 2000s, uh, Michael Caine did a great movie called Harry Brown, which mm-hmm. is almost like a well, him, you know, like the Unforgiven. <laughs> yeah, coming back out and he said that was has some really fucked up scenes in it that worked really well for it. So it's like this idea of the you know, it's very noir. We haven't even said that yet. It's a very tech noir. No pun intended. The Terminator. <laughs> it's like very like uh, a future noir kind of a movie with the, how it's set up in the shot in this past, and you know, it's it, it's it's paying homage to like not only so much westerns of that ilk but a, a lot of the noir movies certainly out of the 60s and 70s yeah what well, has that know. very urban feel to it and a lot of the light I love the way it looks Although, I, mean, I mean even if when they're I mean just normally but when they're in the club with those like Argento primary colors yeah. as he's walking through the door that like bathed in red and it's just that it's very uh, it's a very well constructed film both technically visually uh you know, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. You know, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put the script up there, in, in you know, Back to the Future Taken territory from per- first perfect <laughs> script, <laughs> perfect script. But it's a pretty well constructed uh, script, like no doubt. I mean, because it's not. It knows what it's trying to do, and it goes for it, and, and it's it, not and pulling it any punches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Another influence uh, when they wrote it was the um, 
Alistair McLean, I think, M-A-C-L-E-A-N, who is, he wrote for, uh, Force 10 in Averone. He wrote uh, The Guns in Averone. He wrote Where Eagles Dare. He was a very uh, acclaimed spy adventure writer of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, right? And he's very uh, popular, like, like Guns in Averone. They made him in a lot of movies. Like, yeah. you know, th- those kind of like, almost like a Tom Clancy-esque. For, so, like, the set pieces, but then he also, the, they wrote it, like, with the Stephen King kind of a, a, a feel with it, too, of, of how he had uh, describing different things. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, and then um, amazing to think that they're just, you know, the, the, I guess to cut corners, I mean, they say they co- it costs between 20 and $30 million to make the movie, but f- to me, it has a feel of low-budgetness. Yeah. Um, and I only mean that because it's a pretty intimate movie. Yeah, I mean, no th- matter like the 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 scope of the action. Yeah, it's everything. It feels like a very small movie. Yeah, even like the scenes when they're walking into like the hotel lobby kind of seem like it's you know it's staged to make it look bigger than it actually is. And I'm sure a lot of the budget went to the brand new cars they're wrecking or the guns they're using or the stuntmen. I mean, there's they said their sequences. It kind of sounds like Tony Jaw where it's like there's guys or he'll beat guys up to fall out of frame and then they're running around and maybe putting <laughs> Jump, a wig or yeah, yeah then, you know and they're coming in because they yeah. have to use the same guys or they have a beard so at the end of the scene when there's a guy like with a bald headed guy with a beard that's because that guy at the beginning of the shot was like with a, had like a long hair so it's and I guess from what I read is that they, they were going to use um, they end up using I guess like they get a DV ca- uh, camera I forget the damn name of the darn thing uh, some airy camera yeah it's a, an Alexa and it's an airy camera, where, so they decide to shoot it out, shot digitally. Airy's a brand yeah. camera. And um, they get this camera at the time, the Alexa, and they shoot it, Alexa XT. And they said they were only able to afford to get one of these because at the time these were really expensive. So that was the reason why they have these longer takes were, you know, because they only had one camera to do these setups. So they couldn't do a lot. So I guess they have all the coverage they need, but I don't know if that lends itself to be longer shooting times. It must because they have to. That's what I'm saying. Like you have to re- every setup, you have to move that camera. So that's why in the, in the scenes when there's like a car chase, you'd think they'd have a bunch of cameras on yeah, the cars. Yeah, that's crazy to think. You know, so I, maybe they only mean in certain sequences, like you could have one camera shooting the dialogue or, or whatever, but certain sequences you think they would necessitate more than one camera and then they used a lot of RF mics they're using electrosonic which I use uh, in my day job I was like I know an electrosonic <laughs> I was like that's awesome you know but it's like they use so I think maybe that's where the, the budget went to yeah. the technical savvy of training people getting real people getting real guns in there the sound accurately you know the, the clear the locations the shit they break you know uh, only being able to afford one digital camera, you know, to have it look bad, badassery. They even talk about, you know, at the beginning of it, they wanted to separate their world. So, like, there's a lot of static shots beginning until shit gets fucked. Yeah. And then once he goes on rampages, that's when you see the camera moving around and doing all this kind of stuff. But but it's what? like that Tony Jaw kind of se- uh, yeah. settings of, uh, what's the name of those movies? The protectors, you know, he's like going up the stairs. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like yeah. that kind of crazy, <laughs> you know, they're not even, yeah. you know, steady cam stuff, you know, these setups. But like, what I love about it is that you can tell what's going on. You know, at some That's point in the early yeah. 2000s, they, somebody action thought, like, movies took this turn where, you, can't you know, see shit. some of the Bourne movies do this and then some of the Batman, the Batman Begins movies where it's like it, they s- to try to create some kind of realism, well, I, I guess. I heard on the Batman, the, 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 the idea behind the Batman movie was because, you know, he's so fast you can't see what he does. And I guess I can understand that. But it just gets annoying for me as the viewer because I want to see the Bourne 
horror movies are sometimes so fast. Not all of them, and I've only yeah. seen each of them it's once. It's one of the sequels. There's a fight scene where you're in like a hotel room, if I recall you just correctly. Can't see a you cannot thing understand going on. what is happening. I remember watching a behind the scenes of Batman Begins before Batman Begins came came out. Yeah, and they're talking about how Batman, you know, Batman does this special kind of martial arts. Maybe it was like that Thai, you know. Boxing, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know that Ang Bak boxing before Ang Bak came out, before it became really popular, where he's like throwing a lot of knees and stuff, and they're talking about how you know it's this you know brutal martial art that hasn't been filmed so much, and they're, so they're showing a behind the scenes <laughs> camera, <laughs> I know the story, filming the film crew filming the action scene, yeah, and when you're watching from a distance you're watching like wow that looks really this looks really fucking cool this is gonna be a good this is gonna be awesome and then when you go into the movie and you see what the actual film crew's shooting you can't tell what the fuck's going on I know it's all shaky and it's close ups and so I have a you know uh, a lot of love for this movie for taking a step back even if the camera's moving and it's being able to just delineate what's happening in the sequences uh, because he is telling it's telling a story yeah and you're able to and that's the, the, the again with the realism you're able to see all the hits what's happening yeah. you could you could take in he did this he did that the falls i mean everything's happening a, so quickly it's a ballet yeah so ballet is telling story through dance and that's exactly what's happening here i mean he's not telling major plot points but there is a beginning middle and end to these fight scenes and it is like a little story within within the context of the movie uh and so it's beautiful that you can actually see what's happening at all moments you understand all the moves that are happening they're happening fast but it's clear enough that you can you kind of delineate everything and yeah and it's it's and he has his own little outfit you know that awesome jacket and suit jacket and suit he has it's very like that's his look you know that he carries to the movies which is almost like it's superhero uniform well you know because I noticed at the beginning of the movie he's like when he's with her he's got like a like a light brown leather jacket on like a three quarter length it's very like light colors yeah. but then when he comes back into the fold, well the suit's buried with the rest of the yeah, stuff yeah and he puts that <laughs> shit back on that's like death you know and then is yeah. it the second movie where it, am, am I mixing my movies is it the second movie where he gets like an it's kind of bulletproof the suit that, I guess, not yeah, because here he wears a vest, but we don't. It's not like it's made out of some kind of. I the suit's not made out of some kind of special material. What, what movie is that where somebody gets a suit made out of a special material? And I know it happens in Daredevil, but <laughs> maybe that's what it is. The Daredevils begin. Wilson suit Fisk has a suit that's made out of some kind of special then maybe fibers. Yeah, okay, and I'm I'm, I'm getting everything. All but I think so. there is a. It's been so long. I haven't seen the second one in the longest since it came out. Does he go to a tailor and he gets? But a, there, I feel like there is a tailor. Because where does it take? Does it take place in Italy? The second one. Because I remember they're in the catacombs for a while. I think it ends in New York, but it's it it. I think it's one of those movies that starts. It definitely starts in either France or Italy. Or yeah. See, I, or this made me want to go back and watch the second one because just anticipation of the, of the third one coming out because the third one's going to be coming. And then if the third one is all New York. They're in Grand Central. All this. I was like, I can't wait to see that because this, these are places I am all the time. I didn't see John Wick when, when they were when it was happening. Uh, I mean, this and this was a really. Not a word of mouth thing, but they really got a momentum going when this came. You know, they they put there's a. Uh, I'm not big into video games, uh, but there's a web payday two which came out in 2016 maybe, and they put like a, a character pack where you can get you know an extra character thing of you buy or whatever you can play the John Wick in it. You know, yeah. that's pretty cool, and they do that with video games. I sometimes. Th- maybe that was. I thought I read that that was they did that like just before the movie came out in 2014. Maybe they did that then to maybe. try to spike interest. Maybe I'm, maybe I, that's a new one for the sequel, or, or maybe it was for the second movie. I yeah. don't know. But uh, 
I mean, and I thought this was a, a comic book. I thought this derived. This seems like it'd be something yeah. out of a you know a comic book character, like a <laughs> graphic novel. <laughs> something out of a comic book. You just, you just out of a comic book, Mister <laughs> Handman. I don't want to be in your thingy anymore. The island. Uh, uh, worth noting that the this movie was executed so impressively that uh, in the making of Captain America: Civil War, yeah, uh, the director of that movie tapped. Uh, Chad Stahelski and David Leach to do second unit for that movie because they thought the action in this movie was so badass. They're like, we need so that level of badassery. <laughs> we need that level of badassery in this uh, movie. So they so they tapped them to do second unit for Captain America: and they, Civil War. They said that this another uh, distinction with the with the original draft of the script was that not only was he going to be older, but they were going to have the dog be eighteen years old at that point. So that he's lived all this life with his dog after I guess his wife yeah, died, and yeah. they got to take that. The dog don't die in natural causes. I mean, if anybody did this to my dog, babe, I'll be John Wick in their ass. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to get out of the door. Ow, 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 cramp, cramp, cramp. Ah, pins and needles. But um, then when they they film it and they're done they, they, it's 39 they have a cut of it's 39 minutes long and they cut out of the movie 39 minutes of footage I don't know what the hell else they said that the I guess the ending sequence is a little longer or whatever or yeah. there's just a lot of badass shots of um, like walking, walking around, around you know but it's you know I'm like you know it's pretty it's because like I since I had seen it only once when I watched it again I thought the movie was over until they had that little end with what's her face the girl who's from now she was on the um, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She's uh, on the Orville now. Yeah, what's her name? Uh, uh, Perkins in this movie? Yeah, she plays Perkins. Yeah, uh, maybe Adrian uh, Palaki. I don't know if that's that might could, that could be her. Palicki. Palicki. But um, yeah, I she, forgot that whole little little uh, another Orville connect connection. Oh, from <laughs> la- like last week, a la- la- little denouement, like a little end there. That it's funny. Yes. Yeah, so like, you think about like how. This is very much like Eastwood and, you know, that was his mission going up on the mountain or what other uh, – or Taken, you know. So yeah, yeah. it'd be interesting to see those kind of like Tom Cruise from Collateral being in this movie, being that the, – the, the hitman or Eastwood or, um, you know, uh, Liam Neeson if they, kill, if they killed his daughter. <laughs> you know, this is what ends up happening. <laughs> now, there were, were talk that they were going to do like a prequel series, Series. Right? And then last I heard that Keanu was trying to uh, get executive produce a, a series about the Continental. Yeah. So it's not, not about- the dance. The Continental, everyone <laughs> does. You got me, don't man. That's, so, a, that's for all the older audience. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, nobody gets that joke. Uh, but, oh, about the hotel. So it's like the inner workings. The that'll hit, be cool. The, hit, the assassins that come through the hotel. Because I'm sure what's his face will, Keanu will, you know, maybe It's going to be like what's... What's the uh, John Cleese? Oh, Faulty Towers? This will be Faulty Towers. <laughs> See? With oh, assassins. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I thought it was interesting, that the use of subtitles in the movie, how they did it. I've been noticing recent years in yeah. movies. It's more of a comic book style. Yeah, you know, with the emphasis of, on certain words and then how they're do, like you noticing they try to reinvent the wheel a little bit. They're doing in movies recently, like subtitles a little more interestingly where they place them and all that kind of a thing. It's fun and interactive. This movie gave it, you're right, it almost like giving it like bold letters and stuff. It was good. So, yeah, I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it's, you know, I think my first time coming to this that like I, I w- everyone had had me be ready for the dog sequence because yeah. I'm such a pussy now when it comes to that kind of a thing. <laughs> Dion, you're a pussy. You're fucking, oh, <laughs> yeah, go, yeah. You, so, um, and so, I'm, you know, I, I can't go back and watch like 
uh, Billy the Kid and Wyatt Earp, that movie, whatever, yeah. the, 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 Sam, the Sam Peckinpah movie where they're, they're shooting the chicken heads at the beginning. Like, <laughs> and, you know, like times have changed. Yeah. You know, even Spangoolie, I was watching Spangoolie earlier this week and they had to edit one of these movies because there's because the, they had like the gigantic lizards playing dinosaurs. They're fucking oh, yeah. killing each other and they're lighting them on fire. It's like even that I can't watch anymore. Or like I was watching some B-30s movie where they go to Africa and then in the scene they actually take an elephant down with an elephant gun. I'm like, oh my God. I was like, you know, this, this is back when they used to really do it. Yeah, so yeah. when I saw this movie and the dog dies, I was so heartbroken. And then like it's to me, it's like it's not even about the dog. It's like I, I found that funny. But then when I see it a second time, it's the idea of everything else it represents. His wife giving it to him. Like, you know, yeah. it could have been it could have been his goldfish, you know, and he's like, yeah, you killed yeah. the goldfish, bro. He's not coming back. So how many sleepover stars? Uh, I, out of five, <laughs> I'd back. probably give it to, to, to year one or year two. I'd probably give it four out of five sleepover stars. Four out of five. Yeah, you know, a good four out of five. I mean, he's awesome. I mean, um, he ended up, uh, you know, really, you know, hitting out of the park with me. I have a renewed love for, for, um, for what's-his-face now, for Keanu Reeves. And uh, so I, I think it's really good. Uh, how about yourself? Uh, buckets of pizza. <laughs> buckets of pizza. I definitely give it five buckets of pizza. Now, if people, that's a whole lot of pizza. If people don't know, um, this 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 is a rating, <laughs> rating system. system? We, we used to do recommendations too. I don't know what I would recommend. I would maybe point recommend blank. point double feature, point blank. Maybe if you want to do a triple feature, maybe throw Collateral in because Collateral is a little midline digital, you know, real realism with DV. Uh, but definitely go back to watch Lee Marvin's Point Blank. Badass Lee Marvin, man breaks in and unloads his freaking gun and when he's done he sits down and he opens the, the revolver up like he just blew a load he's like <laughs> <laughs> it's very phallic it's oh it's lovely yeah it's just so it's such it's got so much such great stuff going on in that movie uh, it's been copied a lot when you go back and watch something like that you're like oh I've seen that before yeah yeah but it's because you know they did it there San Francisco too all, the, all on Alcatraz I think that was the first movie maybe shot on Alcatraz Island post the um, Native Americans taking it over in the 60s. But anyway, so this was a new one. You know, this was fun doing this. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, I'd p- kind of pushing for this one. Yeah. Because I feel like this is a sleepover mu- movie of the future. Of the future. <laughs> Certainly we're covering I, I don't know. I don't know if kids do sleepover movie sleepovers anymore. Maybe they do it from their house and they all watch the same thing like gaming, you know? Oh, they all get online. They all they get online and watch it. Do, do it what, virtually. What, yeah, what's the point of needing to really do it when you could do it virtually? Yeah. I've been saying that to my wife all these years. What's the point <laughs> of doing it when you could do it virtually? I'm kidding. Because uh, there's no movie stores anymore so they can't, you know, I guess they could rent it off of iTunes. But yeah, but what's the, I don't know. Yeah. I just feel like this is... I just feel like, like thirteen and fourteen year old Blake and Dion. Dude, dude, bro, we would have we went on outside and played in our twenties. We went on outside and played this. <laughs> we would have been outside running around the yard playing yeah. John Wick. Playing John Wick. <laughs> I would have, but then my luck is when I'm always with the friend. I can't be John Wick. You be John Wick, and I'd be like, you know, Tom Cruise. So I'd be like, I'd be a Hemlock from, from Iger Sanctuary. You go climb that tree, Dion. I'm gonna. You'd be uh, Willem Dafoe's character. Yeah, I'm Willem Dafoe's character. I get killed first. You can play David Patrick. He doesn't do anything but clean up the mess. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's what you're gonna do. So anyway, but we got an exciting summer. We're gonna, we're gonna uh, give it away next next we cast. Have a, we have one more, but, but we have big, an, but we have an announcement. We're gonna make we, the announcement in next. We have a big cast. movie next time, and it kind of it kind of. And we have a big announcement. Yeah, we have a big announcement of what we're doing for the summer, and um, the, it the tease next week's movie. We can say that it kind of has. The kind of thing in this movie that bring you know like something that really 
terrifying. You know, it's like a, a scene that like people talk about. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like horror. It's scarred Dion. You know, Scar- it's scarred a young Dion. Yeah, for years to come, and we can dissect that next week. And then we have an awesome summer that we're going to announce. You know, our our summer plans uh, in the next summer episode. schedule's going up on the bulletin. It's board. going up there. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it, on the on the on the uh, uh, you know with we got a thumbtack in it. We're ready to go. Um, and then we'd like to also take a moment to ask everybody, anybody listening right now, please. Uh, go like our Facebook page. Go like our Twitter page. We're trying to get our, our, our numbers up on the Instagram page, on the Twitter page, on the Facebook page. So even if if you know if you have those, uh, if you're on those social media sites, please just go like our page. Yeah, I feel like we fly under you know, the radar. I always say we're secretly a, a, a pretty popular podcast. At least we like to lead ourselves <laughs> to believe we are. But but we just like to try to see if we can, you know, if everyone listening, just go go like us. Go click on and see if we can bump our numbers up so that we can get over like 300. You know, <laughs> it'd you know, be nice. Yeah, because we can't. I can't keep making fake profiles and then you know having, <laughs> just, you know, and just liking the stuff. We don't do that. No, we don't. I'm kidding. But check out our, our other stuff too. We're you know we're on, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. You can get the podcast any place you get really podcasts. And it's worth noting that each one of those social media outlets features different stuff. Yeah, we do have different kinds. They of They do in feature things. some of the sim- same stuff, but that also. Each one gets a little has, has some different material. Yeah, and and then uh, we have our own regular site Saturday night where we sleepovers. We can see uh, extras of shows. I mean, we might even stop doing extras because at this point, I don't know if anybody. Is <laughs> Other even than checking. Jose, yeah, then Jose, <laughs> our old friend Jose from New York City. <laughs> you know, I don't know if anybody really is taking the time. I mean, not that, that's not a complaint, but it just it's extra work we're doing. We're, you know, so we'll have to see if we should e- even keep doing extra stuff. But we'll have extra stuff on this post. We'll have Keanu doing some crazy shit that looks like it's matrix but it's not uh and then uh blake what do you've got going on uh of course there's scored to death conversations with some of horror's greatest composers it's a book it's available on amazon other book retailers or for me directly at scored to or follow me on social media at scored to death on twitter facebook and Instagram, and of course, Dion Baia has Blood in the Streets. Blood in the Streets. <laughs> I've got Blood in the Streets. That's uh, You can get that for any place you get your books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, it's in paperback. It's in ebook, and it's on audiobook. If you like 70s cop movies, crime movies, heist movies, it's a historical fiction. It's a thriller. Uh, it's a period. It takes place in the 70s as evident. Blood in the Streets, if you like The Doors, rock fan, you might like it, so check it out. Um, you know, and... You know, that's like we like to say that's a way, you know, support your local podcaster. That's a good way to support Blake and I right now because uh, yet we don't have a Patreon account or anything like that. We're considering maybe doing that to try to because it's hard. We keep borrowing money from our parents <laughs> and they Mom. don't want to keep, you know, we, we gas money and, and getting money to go rent a movie Rentals. And, and, and buckets of pizza every week. And, you know, so, so we're, you know, we're trying to figure out our options here. We, uh, CLNS Media, we're connected to them. You could find us on clsmedia.com. Uh, we do a lot of good stuff with those guys. Check them out. Uh, you can check us out there, and you can check them out. Um, and we'll be back in, in two weeks with a pretty amazing um, podcast, if I don't if I don't say so myself. <laughs> Let's hope so. That's another, that's another guy I didn't bring up is uh, Brimley. Remember we did Pee Wee Herman? Oh, yeah. I must say we didn't bring that guy up. Wilford Brimley? Wilford Brimley. <laughs> Wilford Brimley. <laughs> I got diabetes. <laughs> no, not over Brimley. Martin Short. I, I must say, I got diabetes. That's another. You want to go check out our, our, our stellar, very informative interview with Wilford Brimley that lasted about a minute and a half. And as the new uh, Martin Cove, the new season of 
uh, Cobra Kai started. Martin Cove, we yeah. have Martin Cove on the same side. That was a big Martin Cove. He broke news on that one about the only movie he regretted not being in, the only star he regretted not being the star in because the guy died. You gotta go check out all those Easter eggs. Hard time on planet Earth. <laughs> Come on. So And of course, you know, Remo Williams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go check that out. Not the movie, but we did a podcast Both. on it. Both. Yeah. So uh, as always, you know, as as Hank, getting late. Yeah, getting late. As Hank Williams says, uh, you know, if the uh, God will and the creeks don't rise, we'll see you in two weeks. Later.